podcast this week. We talk Nando's and Nando's and Nando's and a little bit of West Side Story with newly minted, and by minted I mean the herb that they put on their macho peas and Nando's, BAFTA and Oscar nominee, Ariana DeBose. Plus, we also talk with Josephine Decker, director of The Sky Is Everywhere. All that, plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that laughs in the face of After the Lord Mayor Show Syndrome. That's right, folks. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to episode 501 of the Empire Podcast. Uh, but that's let's use this as a, a sort of a clearing point. So we're resetting episode 500. We are now acting as if this is episode one. There might be a lot of new listeners who were lured in by episode 500, which we did last week, of course. We did a big old epic live show to celebrate 10 years of the podcast at King's Place in London. So that's not, you know, that's not assumed that everyone has listened to the show before. So I'm going to uh, act as if this is a show, especially for first-time listeners. So please welcome someone I've never met before. <laughs> uh, I'm going to call them my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. That's what I'm going to call them. For reasons lost to history. <laughs> lost to the mists of time. <laughs> oh God, we're doing it again. Uh, anyway, our geek queen Helen O'Hara Hello. is here. Hi. How are you? How are you? Good, good. Excellent. Uh, our great big fucking nerd James Dyer is here. How dare you address me directly? <laughs> eye contact. Sorry, I'm doing eye contact. That is yeah. what we in the business call a call back. Those are the first words we I don't ever do callbacks. This, this is episode podcast. one. Oh yeah, sorry. Then, in which case, that is the first thing I've ever said to you. Yes, yes. and in fact, I just coined that phrase. Great big fucking nerd. Oh, okay, and, good. Yeah. Good. Oh god. Anyway, we're lemon getting, and nerd. If we're going to continue we're, the Nando's analogy, we're drowning in retcon in here. This is this is <laughs> this is crazy. This is crazy. And and fresh from the triumphant run of the Beatles Get Back on the IMAX, <laughs> it is our very own George Harrison, Lukey Likey, John Nugent. Hello. Hello, John. Hello. Uh, yes, um, I've spent a long time in, uh, uh, was it Pinewood Studios? Uh, Twickenham Studios. Twickenham Studios. Twickenham Studios. Yes, and then the Apple headquarters yep. in yep. Mayfair. Yeah, John a- may walk out halfway through this podcast and we have to talk him back in again. Well, he'll That's be up right. on the roof, it'll be easy to find <laughs> He'll be up on the roof. Have you ever been on the roof of this building? No. Do you think you can get on the roof of this building? No. I felt like going onto the roof of this building. <laughs> Maybe that's I felt what like we, taking you to the roof of this building. <laughs> Maybe that's what we do for episode 1000, is we do a sort of Beatles get back <laughs> style performance. With the police trying to shut it down. Yeah, yeah, to the people of Camden. Yeah, so many people have been trying to shut us down for, for years. <laughs> How are you feeling, Chris? Because I thought you might be sort of just lying there in a puddle this week and we'd have to pick up the It wasn't slack. that exciting. Wasn't it? I mean, oh boy. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought you might be just, Reset. just Reset. spent... Yes, I had spent tired and exhausted, uh, like that gif of Randy from South Park. Uh, no, I I am... Uh, should we indulge ourselves for a second? I think yeah, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was a milestone. If you will if you will forgive us, if you will allow us at home, just a, a moment for us to indulge and backslap a little bit, if we can do that. Uh, because last week was a hell of a thing. It was a hell of a thing. Mm. We did a, a live show, but not just a live show. We did live shows. Uh, as part of our 500 episode celebrations, we did it at King's Place in London, our spiritual home. We were blown away by the support we had from people uh, who came to see the show in person. Uh, each show was a sellout. We were blown away by the support of people who watched it at home as well. And by all the kind words that you have said to us over the week uh, in person or on social media, it really has meant so much, but it was a hell of a thing. So we did our very first Empire Pod quiz, we which was unfair and poorly managed. <laughs> I think it was <laughs> important to say which was correct. It was correct. It was very well managed. Was it, uh, it was. It was. It was. It was poorly executed 
from by one of the teams, I would say, uh, because it was a quiz between Team Empire yeah. and Team Pilot TV yeah. podcast. I can't have noticing there wasn't a TV round. Why would there be a TV round? Well, I thought maybe because this is we a TV like, podcast. Well, it was, no, the, but, it was but, the great big Empire quiz. Yeah, I just I just thought you might throw us a bone and like you know. I mean, would it have helped? Your track record was not good. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I might, there was there were at least two rounds we scored no points. Yeah, it was it was quite something. Yeah, to, it to wasn't behold. it wasn't what I would call a banner performance. No, it wasn't. Although I did consider hulking out at one point, so it could have been <laughs> so close. <laughs> so the quiz was a lot of fun, and that is something we may be doing on the regular uh, in front oh, of a, in front of a live audience. So keep them peeled for any announcements along along those lines. Uh, we also did a live three fact structure, uh, which I have to say. Listen, we might as well. We're all, you know, slapping these letters backs here. I'm trying to be PG-13. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I thought it really worked in a live arena, I have to say. So we might be doing that on the regular as well in front of a live oh audience. Uh, also, we did I would, a however, Nick like to have Ben Travis retroactively disqualified for cribbing a fact from Disney University. Thus... I'm sorry. Making me the winner. At least half of his facts have been cribbed from Disneyversity. Your facts are cribbed from people on the internet. <laughs> uh, hey, people, people so, you hey, pass in the that's fair game. <laughs> but also, we should say that Ben brought an entire PowerPoint presentation yeah. and got the entire audience singing along. That is true. I mean, come on, there, there's there's absolutely no question that Ben. Won I am that. excited. I mean, to... your filibuster was astonishing, <laughs> but no, it was it was definitely Ben. I'm very excited to know that PowerPoint is now an option because this is oh, this wow. is open entirely new <laughs> avenues for me. So. Uh... Yeah. Oh, no. If we do three fact structure on the regular uh, in front of a live studio audience, it will be 20 minutes max. So for me. Yes, just for James. James will be in a separate room. <laughs> He'll be in a volume. Uh, no, 20 minutes max for the whole thing. Uh, that's uh, I think that I think that gave it a bit of edge that mm. you had a you had a time. It made it stressful. Well. It made it stressful because I was you watching the, the timer tick down. I was like, this is terrifying. So I, we, I think we started. You had seven minutes left when you started. Maybe six. Six, I think. And, uh, and that was to, to do the wrap up at the end as well, wasn't it? Yeah. That was, that was, yeah. I but I did, I did speak at a velocity that I think has never before been recorded yes. in human That's history. True, but yeah, it has yeah. been recorded. So that is, <laughs> the good thing is that will be going out. Every show we did will be going out. We'll be seeing the light of day. So we also did, John, you were part of the Nick Cage ranking. Yes. That will be seeing the light of day after, and this gets confusing, but after the next issue of Empire in which the Nick Cage ranking will be included so that's going to be in there in print and then once that goes out and it goes on sale at all good and evil news agents then you're going to get it as a podcast um but it was a good show i, I enjoyed yeah, it, was it. I, was, I was annoyed not to be part of it but you know i had to <laughs> we, we all had to take breaks at some point uh so it was good good stuff i listened to it this morning well right. done well done everybody yeah it was good we yeah. had Good impressions. Uh, I'll be the judge yeah, of that. Don't look at me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Dan came on stage in the manner of Nick Cage coming on stage on, in Wogan on, in nineteen eighty whatever. Mm-hmm. That was very special. That will live long in my mind. Although yes. he didn't, he didn't actually give any context for it. So no, I know. If yeah. you hadn't seen that clip of <laughs> Nicolas Cage in the nineties on Terry Wogan's TV show, then Dan just doing a forward role and miming throwing cash into the audience might have looked. A little bit it was strange. niche. It was yes. a niche gag. By yeah. Nicholas Cage, indeed. <laughs> uh, what else did we do? We did a uh, live episode of a Hot Fuzz a retro spoiler special with uh, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, who came along. They were our first guests on the day, and uh, that was a ton of fun as well. And that is going to go out. It's not going to be behind the spoiler special paywall. There will be our bit, 
where Team Empire gets together and talks about Hot Fuzz, which I'm really looking forward to because I love that movie. That's going to be packaged with the Edgar and Simon interview. That will be behind the paywall, but it's next week is the 15th anniversary of Hot Fuzz opening in cinema. So that's going to be up in time for that. And it's going to be free to all. Our gift to you. Nothing that was a show on the day will be behind a paywall, except for the the moment when it is. Anyway, (laughs) I think that makes sense. And then, of course, we had episode 500 itself, which was in the evening and uh, is uh, was a hell of an ordeal uh, putting it together. Hmm. But um, and I'm still not entirely recovered. I went to bed at nine o'clock the other day. I was so tired. Uh, Never done that before. That was very, very strange. But it was a a heck of a thing. We had guest after guest after guest after guest after guest after guest after guest. I think that's all the guests Mm -hmm. we had. We had Tom Holland. We had Joanna Hogg and Harris Dickinson. We had Brett Goldstein. We had Rachel Segler. We had Kate Heron. And we had Johnny Knoxville. And then we had us giggling idiots on stage fucking the whole thing up. Uh, it started yeah, so well, though. It started so well. <laughs> Honestly, you know, we will get onto the show in a, in a second. But if you will, just permit us this you know, indulgence just one more time. The uh, I've, you know, over the years, we've probably all had the... Um, opportunity to introduce people in front of audiences before. For the most part, they know who they're going to see. And we never uh, announce guests for live shows, unless, of course, it's part of a you know, part of a festival or something like that. So when we did Glasgow Film Festival, people knew that Michael Palin was going to be our guest, that, that sort of thing. Um, or if ticket sales are going really badly, <laughs> then people say, hey, come and see such and such. Uh, but for the most part, we don't announce uh, guests beforehand. And I always like to try and structure my introductions of them so that, you know, there are clues initially to who it's going to be. Or with Rachel Segler, I just went, she was Maria West Side Story. <laughs> but and I, over the years, I've introduced people like, Robert Downey Jr. or Daniel Radcliffe at MovieCon. And, you know, that was an incredible reception. I have never felt anything mm. like the the wave of just euphoria. When I came on. It, I mean, it was, it was extraordinary. Whenever I was dropping clues about Tom Holland, people were ahead of me because, you know, it's very obvious it was going to be Tom Holland. Uh, yeah. The second you say Spider-Man, <laughs> I think that, that's a big clue. That was just, that, that I, you know, because I kept saying the roof's going to come off and the roof... Didn't it held, which was good. Otherwise, we'd be all dead. Structurally speaking, structurally yeah, sound, yeah. which is nice. But that was a, a heck of a thing. It was amazing. I was in the audience for the for the main show, and the atmosphere. It was like film Beatlemania. It was it was which insane, you know all about, John, which I've had <laughs> first hand experience of. But uh, it was it was it was such a like people were losing their minds, not just for Tom Holland, but for the other guests as yeah. well. Like. They couldn't believe Brett Goldstein and, and Johnny Knoxville showed up. I mean, it was just such a good atmosphere. It was like, you know, a festival of like-minded nerdery. Yeah, yeah it was lovely. It was really um, good. I mean, we really have to thank all, all those of you who came along, all those, all those who mm-hmm. tuned in online as well. It was just, it was so lovely and everybody was in such a good mood and had, I hope, such a nice time. Um, but they were all really, really cheery when they spoke to us during the day. It was great. Yay. Thank yeah. you. It was it was pretty damn awesome, pretty damn awesome. Uh, yeah, the video of Tom Holland coming on doesn't quite convey the atmosphere in the room. It was electric, uh, yeah. but it it yeah, it was it was absolutely wild. And they were all they were all terrific. And um, it's just you know, honestly, I'm, I'm immensely proud. <laughs> yeah, you could say obviously longevity. The longevity of the podcast owes a great deal to us just coming in and recording it every week and not giving up. But it also, <laughs> it also owes a lot to you guys because you support us and you you listen to the podcast week after week and you tell us how much it means to you and and, and that keeps us going all the way through the pandemic as well. Um, and you know, I, I 
is it okay to say that you're proud of something? I, I don't know anymore oh, these days, so. but I, you know, I'm proud of what we've done here uh, on the Emperor Podcast. I'm proud that we got to 500, and I'm proud that we did did it justice with with such an amazing show. And I'm now going to shut the fuck up about it for the rest of the show because <laughs> it is time to reset, hard reset. This is episode one of the Empire Podcast. If you were new to it, it is episode 501 in reality, and we're going to start off with a listener question, and it is a belter that. I think everyone here is no has forgotten. no expense jokes. See, the thing is, I stopped myself, but Helen knew she knew exactly what was going through my head when you said that. What belters yeah, are belter, a group of people yeah. in the expense. Baratna, oh yeah, belteroda. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm so sorry. So again, any any new listeners, we've not lost them, so yeah. that's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've oh. lost me, to be honest. So. <laughs> yeah. We should do this entire podcast in the Creole patois of the belteroda. <laughs> All right, give it a go. Can you? Not, not really. Okay. Although I did do an intro to the Pilot TV podcast entirely in Belter using a wow. helpful English to Belter translation website, which I found. Sounds like a real must listen. It was. <laughs> it was great. Right. So now talking of incomprehensible gibberish, uh, let us tackle this question. This good question. Uh, George Gilead, and I don't know how to pronounce your name, George, so I'm guessing it's either Gilead or Gilead. I'm going with Gilead. Uh, slid into my DMs uh, a while ago to say... Uh, it was great to hear in this week's pod that you got the Lego Infinity Gauntlet for Christmas and are hoping to get it more into Lego building. Uh, I am a Lego set designer living and working at the Lego headquarters in Buland, Denmark. <gasps> wow. That is, cool. that's one of the dream jobs, isn't it? That really is, yeah. So here's my question for you and the team to answer in the podcast. We at the Lego Group have produced sets based on so many movies and franchises over the years, including Star Wars, Harry Potter and Marvel. If you could have a Lego set based on any movie ever, which movie would you pick and what would be in the model? <gasps> Disclaimer, the results of this question will not result in the Lego group <laughs> producing your suggestions. Damn it. It's just for fun. <laughs> okay. I, weirdly, I just retweeted today somebody's um, pitch for a Lego Atuin, the great Atuin, the turtle, the world turtle from the Discworld books. So it's a giant turtle that mm -hmm. has four elephants standing on its back with a, mm -hmm. with a Discworld on their back. Um, and someone has designed a Lego set that they could they could make for that. That would surely be the biggest in scope of what's being depicted it's Lego not, set yet, right? It's not ridiculously huge in the picture that they put up. Like, it's 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 a manageable Lego set. No, you but know? is Discworld bigger or smaller than Earth? Uh, smaller, smaller, I guess. Oh, smaller? Okay, because yeah. they've just produced the Lego globe. Have you seen this? <gasps> which, is, which is really cool. Oh, so it's, it's a globe made of Lego bits. Okay, that's pretty cool. It's, I'm it's, seeing it now. Helen yeah. may put this on on Twitter. Oh, it's, it's quite Twitter. small. Yeah, it's it is quite small. It's quite small. Mm. I mean, this okay. no, whether this is how they'd actually design it, but this is the sort of All concept. Right. Anyway, so you're cheating so by like going that. for an answer that's, that already kind of exists. No, I'm I'm just sort of mentioning. It's funny that we're having a Lego question when I just retweet that literally okay. an hour ago. You must um, let go of your feelings. I'm I'm trying to think of like older films because I think you know we we have all the Disney's and the Star Wars and the Marvels like what if we like had an old black and white film and it's just a monochrome Lego set but genuinely that yeah cool. like like His Girl Friday we just have the newsroom <laughs> in the court building and it's got the roll top desk and yep. there's room for a little guy to hide inside it and there's a gun that's fun that it's would be amazing like Casablanca Ricks Casablanca yeah Ricks oh my god 
That'd be a hell of a thing. Oh, black and white Lego would be. Did they do black that? I think Lego. I have seen I that. Have I think, that. think I have seen that. Black and white Lego. Do oh that. my God. Rick's all the Lego blocks in all the world. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the greatest thing. You oh built my God. it for her and I built it for me. <laughs> yeah, I really want that. Also, the uh, the apartment in the apartment with, uh, yes. with, very important, it has to have a tennis racket and some spaghetti. So you can make spaghetti because yes. how else are you going to strain your spaghetti if see, not with your tennis racket? Would you not yeah. want to go for Jack Lemmon's office building? Was I that see, great? Yeah, I did, that did occur to me. The, yeah, I did yeah. think of that as well. But I feel like, you know, we've seen that kind of, you know, that kind of almost 1984-y kind of you mm. know, featureless office scape kind of, that lends itself more to like... That was kind of the first, wasn't it? I, 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 think, yeah, I feel it was, it was a bit of a pioneer in, in depicting that. Such An office movie. is this kind of endless, faceless... shorter people as you got further away and like kids, I think, sitting at the distant desks. Really? So just to kind of, so it's kind of forced perspective. I love shit like that. I love like, the kind of lo-fi solutions to, to problems like that. The brainwave I had is mm-hmm. this okay. rear window. <gasps> Oh, oh. Oh, that's good. Oh. Isn't that good? That's very good. That is really good. I mean, with all those apartments and you can see yep. all the wind. Oh, yeah. Job done. That is it. Job done. The Bates Motel. The Psycho House. Not even oh. the, not even the, well, the motel is one thing, but the yeah. the Bates House would be another thing. Mm. I mean, I you could like do that. like this all sorts of amazing yeah. horror film houses that you could do, you know, whether it's, you know, the you know Nancy's house in in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, or, you know, of course, as me, I'm going to say, the cabin from the Evil Dead movies, that'd be, that'd be <laughs> tremendous. Like, it's just a like, top-down thing. You could, you could put ash in there and a little, little hand. You could have a little hand, a little severed hand running around. That'd be, that'd be tremendous. You could have a Lego Event Horizon. But I don't want to, I don't want to do, I don't want to do, <laughs> oh, do the I would the like cliches. a Lego Event Horizon. Yeah. 100%. Did you know, Chris, that the Event Horizon was modelled after Notre Dame <laughs> Cathedral? That's a fact that I found out recently. Where did you find it out, Jimbo? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Jason Isaacs. Uh, Jason Isaacs. <laughs> so it's, we might as well, uh, as part of our 500th uh, pod quiz, uh, we had a number of people were gracious enough to send in questions for us, mm. for you guys. The celebrity and, round. The celebrity round. And uh, Jason Isaacs was one of those. Took time mm. out. Thank you very much, Jason, if you're listening to this. And I know you're not. But if you if you, if you you do, then thank you so much indeed for taking time out from filming Good Sam to send in us a, a question about Event Horizon. Didn't ask him to do that. I <laughs> just said... <laughs> Give us a question. But he knows. He knows your audience. Yeah, he knows you well. He knows. The, he knows honest, the audience. It looks nothing. No, like I did. I Notre did think Dame that. Yeah. Like I just mm. had to check up some pictures. And I think, I think it, it maybe inside. Yeah, it's the vaulted, inside. the vaulted sort okay. of aspect, isn't it? The ceilings yeah. and stuff. I think it's probably yeah. more that. Because I was thinking when he said the study, I was thinking like the core, the core of the event horizon, mm. which looks like Satan's ping pong ball. Mm. Um, but that doesn't feel French. Yes. Well, obviously the Gothic style is. Anyway, you know what? I'm not going to get into it. But. Let's not do it. Uh, John, what, any Lego sets? Obviously, Twickenham Studios. Obviously, <laughs> yes. the roof of Apple Studios. Uh, which I would genuinely love that, by the way. That would be an that amazing would be good, Lego amazing. set. Yeah, yeah. That would be fun. And you could have little Lego policemen just like <laughs> bashing the door down. Uh, I had I had the thought of Home Alone. Uh, Home Alone is obviously... They've, they've yeah, done it they've already. Done that. But they, I, yeah. I just Googled. They have done it. Um, yeah. They haven't done Home Alone 2, colon, Lost New York, which is the superior sequel. Which which so set what would, would you, you do, go the, for? The Toy Store, or well, you could do that. You could have multiple sets. You could have the Toy Store. You could have the wow. Plaza Hotel, and you could have his his uncle's house where the final showdown happens. And even would Central there, Park with the pigeons. Would there be a Donald Trump in the Plaza Hotel? There, set? there would, yeah. Oh, no. And then you could crush him under your foot. Um, 
<laughs> that's one Lego character you wouldn't mind stepping on. <laughs> that's right. Hey. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. You you kind of want to go for things that have like big houses or structures. Mm. I was trying to think what would be a good like art house Lego. Could you do leg Lego Seventh Seal? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get the night plane. Although, in fairness, there's not a huge amount to that set. I guess you've got some rocks, chessboard, couple of stools, mm. just a few and... blocks of uh, existentialism. Yeah. Um, what color would those be? <laughs> <laughs> there's some amazing sets. So, you know, over here, so you, you could do the two thousand one. Two thousand one. What would you do in two thousand one? Oh, you'd obviously do the Star Child. <laughs> oh, well, obviously. Obviously. Yes, of course. You could do the monolith. It'd be the most boring build Yeah, ever. you could do that yeah. with just like four black bricks. Or one. Be... Yes. <laughs> yeah. There you go. 80 quid, please. <laughs> Thanks very much. I like a mask of the Red Death. I don't know why that just popped into my head, mm. but that could be a decent one. The house from Night of the Living Dead. There are lots of, uh, lots of ones. Yeah, Heaven from a matter of life and death. Yes. A lot of white. The escalator. Yeah. Yeah. I would like the whole of Jed Bartlett's West Wing that I could make entirely out of Lego. That would be the single greatest thing ever. I should point out, when I did my big West Wing oral history, I commissioned a floor plan of that, a perfectly accurate floor plan of that West Wing, which I have on my wall at home, because of course I do. Uh, But I would like that. I would like that made of Lego, and it would be fantastic, and I would spend the rest of my life living in it. (laughs) Um... Do you want to tell him about? No, it would be great. I'd also quite like a Lego Rocinante. Uh, I, I don't of think course. one exists. I feel one should exist. If one does exist, can someone send me one? I'd like to build a Lego Rossi. That would be great. Lego Lego DS9, Lego Babylon Five. There must be a Lego DS9. There has to be. I refuse to believe there isn't. That feels like something that has to have happened. Has it been Lego Star Trek? It's not. I don't think there is. I don't actually. think there's don't been think, any Lego Star yeah. Trek. So with I, all of not, that, not to dabble in stereotypes, but I'm saying that the Venn diagram of Lego fans and Star Trek fans has got to converge quite heavily. It's, it's a. So, it's pretty much a perfect circle. Yeah. Surely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that seems like a missed opportunity. The, yeah, they must have an exclusive deal, I guess, with Disney or or something. That's why mm. all the Star Wars and Marvel stuff. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that stuff out there. <laughs> Sorry, just thinking Disney brands. I was thinking National Geographic Lego Free Solo. <laughs> You've just got this. Oh my Gigantic God. cliff and one little <laughs> tiny. Cat. That'd be tremendous, wouldn't it? A Bond Lego franchise would be amazing. So all, all those the Ken cars, Adam sets. All the yeah. cars, all the jetpacks. But then, yeah, the, the underground like volcano yeah. layer. You only live twice. Ooh. That'd be nice. And and building on the back of that, Austin Powers. Austin Powers. <laughs> Welcome to my underground brick layer. That'd be tremendous. Lego friggin' sharks with friggin' laser beams. Somewhere. Oh my God. <laughs> well, irritated sea bass anyway. Sure. Yeah, mutated, <laughs> mutated sea bass. Uh, yeah, loads of stuff. Shawshank, you can have the Shawshank, because, you know, I've always wondered about the... What does the, the Lego prison? river of shit look like? <laughs> the layout of, you know, you have the little little poster over the little hole, yeah. and where does Andy Dufresne go through to uh, to make his make good yeah. his escape, little, which he does at the end of the 1995 movie. To do the, you know. I feel like that would be, like, the size of this <gasps> room. What? Oh, my goodness. John Carpenter's Christine. John Carpenter's Stephen King's Christine in Lego. Because they do, they, they've done the, the <gasps> Aston Martin. The, the Overlook. <gasps> the Overlook. The Overlook. Would anyone like to do, <gasps> which is obviously great for the listeners I mean, at home. But <laughs> some, of these, some of these would be the size of this room. Like if you want I'm here Shawshank. For I'm here for I mean, that. No, I don't mean the whole of Shawshank. Okay. I just mean... The, the the prison complex. Yes. So you can you can yeah. trace Andy Dufresne's journey. Yeah, that would be. That's what I'm freedom. saying. It'd be like several feet across. You wouldn't have to do the infirmary and 
all that okay, stuff. Okay, but you need at least one wing of the prison. You need a wing, just a wing. Andy Dufresne's wing, Andy Dufresne's wing, and then Red's wing, as wow. well. Okay. Okay, and then good. I have a Lego fact for you. Sell rather. Yes. Did you know that the flagship Lego store in each country has a Lego dragon in it? A Chinese-style Lego dragon. But in the UK, two stores have Lego dragons because the flagship store got usurped when they built the one in Leicester Square, and that is the new flagship store. But they have not removed the flagship dragon from the other store, which I think is in Kent somewhere. I can't remember. It might be in Blue Water. Huh. Um, so, yeah. So if you see a dragon, you are in the flagship Lego store. Usually if you see a dragon, it means you're either entering or leaving the city of London. Or you're watching Game of Thrones. But yes, yes, I imagine that's true. All right, any more for any more? I mean, genuinely, we could be here all day. We could literally be here. I think we have to stop. Yeah, you could just say you could just say a movie and then there would be probably an iconic set or an iconic location or something from that film that you could throw in. And the Stromo from Alien, yeah. the yeah. Sulaco from Aliens, you know, the, the complex where they hole up in mm. Aliens, the uh, Tech Noir nightclub in The Terminator. I'm just going through Jimbo's greatest hits in the fucking <laughs> Nakatomi Plaza. Hello, why isn't there a Lego Nakatomi oh, there Plaza. There must be. There one. must be. I refuse to believe there isn't one. I mean, they may have retired it. They may have done one and then retired it because, you know, I've only really started looking at Lego well, probably up, over the last you know, couple of so. years. <laughs> only a bit of it. Only the roof. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Blow the roof. Blocks. Who gives a shit about blocks? <laughs> <laughs> yes, all of these. More. More Lego. Oh, the factory at the end of nobody. Skyfall. Nobody is Skyfall. needs that one. <laughs> yes, nobody. Yes, nobody. The Continental. <gasps> The Continental. That's what I was about to say. The, I was also going to say the nightclub with the swimming pool downstairs. Oh, like red square, oh. red triangle, red circle. It's a polygon. I'm not sure. The Empire Pod booth. That is what you need. Oh, just... we're coming back to black and white, are we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, just more grey. Yeah, and you know the way all Lego characters have smiley faces? Just four or five people are around the desk looking really sullen. That's what you need. All right, on and on that on that self-effacing, self-eating note, uh, let us move on to uh, this week's first guest, Hurrah. shall we? Our first guest in this very first episode of the Emperor Podcast is Josephine Decker, who is a fantastic film director. Her last movie was Shirley, the biopic of Shirley Jackson, starring Elizabeth Moss. And now she's back on Apple TV Plus this week with The Sky is Everywhere, which is an adaptation of a young adult novel. And it's about a young woman who is struggling with grief following the loss of her older sister. Amon Warman spoke to Josephine uh, earlier on in the week on Zoom. I haven't heard it back yet, but I, I, I'm assured that nothing went wrong and Hurrah. nobody died, which Hurrah. is good. So here we go. Amon Warman talking to Josephine Decker. Do please enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the director of The Skies Everywhere, Josephine Decker. How are you? Oh, I'm great. Thank you so much, Amon, for having me. I'm grateful to be here. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here and congratulations on the film. I watched it earlier. I really enjoyed it. Um, and this is based on the book of the same name. When did you first read the book and what was it about the book that struck you and clearly stayed with you? Well, you know, it's funny. I read the script first. It had been adapted, Jandy's script. So she, Jandy, the writer of the book, adapted the script at Warner Brothers, actually. And then they went through a bunch of changes. And so the script was available again. And that was when my agent sent it to me. And I was totally taken. I mean, just the script is so florid. It's immediately a world that you've never seen before. You know, this strange family, there's no parents, there's a, there's a grandmother, there's an uncle, but they're, and they're so uh, unusual, I guess you could say a very eccentric family. Um, and, and it felt what, what I loved about it was that it's a family you've never, you don't, I, you've never seen before, or like, it doesn't feel like it's very familiar in terms of 
what we're used to, but then also it felt very functional and like they have their own forms of love and communication. And um, so I, uh, I, I love that, but then we're going inside her mind so much into her imagination. And I'm a, I think I tend to only choose projects where there's some strong subjectivity as a part of the film, because I really love um, the kind of, I, I wouldn't call it non-linear because it, you know, it, it does start at the beginning and end at the end, but well, actually, I guess there are a lot of flashbacks in our movie. So maybe it is non-linear, but there's a, well, there's an element of like moving into the mind basically. So, cause what's happening in the mind, I always think is as real as what's happening in your day to day, you know, right. Um, so I practice meditation and always talk about that, you know, that your subjectivity is often maybe the stronger reality than what's actually happening in front of you. Um, so how can you, maybe uh, make sure have the two combined. But so I was really interested in that. And, uh, and the, it's a, it's a very magical realist script. Um, Lenny's falls for the lead of the movie and the entire hallway of students falls over and swoons with her when she hears him playing this music. So that was written into the script. And I was like, I'm in, I'm interested in that. I want to shoot that scene. And indeed we like had such a great time shooting that we had so much fun. Um, working with that like group of teenagers, but also with all of the magical realist scenes, just uh, trying to bring to life her grief and her love in a way that felt um, really fresh and specific and um, uh, yeah, like something you hadn't necessarily seen before. With Shirley, you were working from someone else's script for the first time here. You're not only working for some with someone else's script, but the person who wrote the book. So what were those early conversations like with Jandy Nelson as you were trying to align your perspectives on this film? Well, I was really in love with the script. Um, so I didn't need a ton of, I didn't want a ton of changes to be made. So, and it was already a script. So I wasn't, we weren't adapting the book together, but I, um, you know, she was really open to changes as well. The, the movie obviously hinges around this young woman who Lenny, who's lost her sister and is going to this very deep, intense process of grief while also falling in love for the first time. Um, but also feels like the only person who really, really gets her grief is her dead sister's boyfriend. So it is this kind of love triangle. Um, and I think one of the things that was really fun working with Jandy was that because we go with the, there are these magical sequences, like when Lenny, when Lenny's like exuberantly falling in love with Joe, there's like the roses all bloom around her or like um, uh, when she thinks of her sister, the sky changes colors. That was how it was written in the script. And when I read those parts, I was like, oh, it'd be so nice to embody this more. Like, can we put the character into the space and really see them reacting to this as opposed to just seeing the environment around them? And so um, uh, we had we had Lenny. Um, she remembers her sister walking down the street and the sky changes colors. And so we rewrote that as Lenny is. Um, or Lenny's watching her sister dance down the street street in a musical number that everyone like falls in line behind her and dances. And then, but like when you cut to Lenny, it's like a much more depressing day and like yeah. nobody is dancing. They're doing the opposite of dancing. They're fighting behind her. So really bringing that subjectivity to life with her, she, you know, it kind of feels like the whole movie is sort of in Lenny's mind. Um, but yeah, so we working with Jandy on rewriting some of those sections to take them into the world of practical effects out of visual effects and into practical effects was something that she was really open to. And, and we had a lot of fun doing. Um, and truthfully, I, I don't feel like there were a ton of other changes. It was a lot of like little tweaks here and there, some stuff um, yeah. around Uncle Big. And but mostly, yeah, we were we I was really excited about the script as I read it. It's really interesting. Anytime 
I watch a film that's adapting a book, when those films choose to have voice narration and when they don't, and finding the balance between those things, like how, how, how did you do that? Because there's a, there's a couple of times where you visualize stuff and I can almost sense how it will be written in the book because it's done so well. And there's a couple of times when the voice of narration is actually there and that feels like the right choice for that moment too. You know, Jandy was really clear when she wrote it. She there, she wanted the only voiceover to be these poems that Lenny wrote um, that were sort of her way of processing her sister's death. And so she was very clear that she wanted, there were these Lennyscapes that were like these magical, her magical way of seeing things, which is kind of like, yeah, people falling over in the hallway or um, the roses all coming to life around her. But then, um, then there were these other moments where she's writing a poem that then we kind of bring to life and you can hear the poem and the voiceover. We did go a little further than that in the movie, sometimes for storytelling or for clarity purposes. We, she was like, can't you follow this rule that I made? And I was like, it's hard. I was like, there's a lot that has to be set up quickly. We don't, it's not a 200 page or 300 page novel. It's like a really short movie and like we have to sort of condense. So we did add a little bit of voiceover, but we tried to be true to that structure almost for the, I think there's only one or two places where we added voiceover where it wasn't part of a poem that, Len, that Lenny was writing herself. Yeah. The power of music and the effect that it can have on you is one of the things that I love about this film. I've never really seen it visualized the way that you do in this film. That scene uh, where Aria by the signposters is playing uh, as the two characters listen to the music. Can you just take me through the conceptualization of that scene in particular? It's a funny movie because it, it's in a way it's very contained, but also because you're in her imagination so much and because it really jumps around. A lot of the scenes are extremely short. Like I had our, um, I think our, our AD was like, normally a strip for a day is like, you know, you maybe have 12 strips in a day or something like that, or eight strips in a day. And he was like, you, in this movie, there's three times that number, which means you have to give that many more setups. You have that many more locations you're shooting in. And um, which was like, why I think it's so fun because you're, you're in her mind so much and you're bouncing through worlds and you're seeing other people's worlds. But it also meant that we were strapped for time. And so that scene, ironically, so that, that there's a scene in the film when Lenny and Joe are like falling in love. They lie down in the roses and they listen to box air on G and the flowers come to life around them. Ironically, that was originally written actually to be just flowers blooming. But then I, I, I was like, this needs to be a dance number because they're just lying there. I can't make flowers blooming in CGI interesting for three minutes. And it's a long song. And I wanted to play this a lot of the song. And so I was, and cause I was like, you, it's all about experiencing the music. It has to be long enough that you really experience the music. So I was like, it needs to be a dance number, but I was like, do they get up and dance? And then I was like, what if the roses dance, like physically dance? What if they're dancers? And then, so we started talking about that. And then the costume designer had a lot of Christopher Peterson, who's a really wonderful collaborator, very, very brilliant and has lots of amazing ideas. It's like he started designing dancer costumes. And, um, but it was so funny because the day that we shot it, we um, we had rehearsed a bunch and um, and also Faye Driscoll, our choreographer, had done a lot of work with both the Rose dancers and with the, the actors who are doing these like beautiful movements as well. And she um, uh, we <laughs> but we got into that day. We had to shoot a, the, the scene of them walking and talking through the garden first. And so by the time we got to this Rose Dancer scene, which really should have probably had its own whole day, given how much money and time had already been put into it. And then we're using this giant rig with a jib and um, 
we had like two hours to shoot it and we were like shit and the beginning and we had this whole concept of how to shoot it and we were like this doesn't look good we were going to shoot it in this wide shot and then some close-ups and i was like this is not dynamic this just looks bad like it's just like so boring what are we going to do what are we going to do and then i was like okay i was like ava that ava's our dps like what if we swing the the camera like this like so that it's sort of like the camera is also dancing while the dancers dance and then he started shooting like that and i'm getting chills just talking about it like it was like everything came to life and it felt like the camera was in conversation with the dancers who were then like bringing to life this gorgeous spirit in the in the in the kids the two teenagers and so um i just remember like watching it and the, the i was watching it with ad and i literally was crying into his shoulder and i was like it's so good it's so good i'm making it work it's working because we were really scared we were like there's so much money has gone into this day and we're we're about to screw it up and then um it's working where he's like he's like i think you should call cut because this has been going and i was like i can't call cut it's too beautiful you know so it was really fun we had a lot of fun making that happen yes and it was also very stressful as you kind of noted yeah <laughs> It was absolutely worth it because that scene is incredible. I could talk to you about this film for ages, but giving me the rap. Josephine, thank you so much for your time. Congratulations on the film. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Thank you, Aman. Thank you so much. Okay, so that was Josephine Decker and The Sky is Everywhere is out this week on Apple TV+. But now it's time to talk about this week's movie news. What has been happening, folks? What's been happening in the world of Hollywood and, of course, the British film industry? Should we start with the Oscars? You know what? Yes. Cool. We should. We should start with the Oscars because it is the biggest show in town. Now that episode 500 is out of the way, of course. Of course. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hopefully they'll have, they may have a lineup to rival 500. I don't know. It's pretty tough. They can try. It's pretty tough. But yes, the Oscars. Very exciting. They were announced this week. The nominations were announced. Mm. First of all, general overview. Good, bad, indifferent. Less infuriating than usual. I mean, there's definitely some nominations and lack thereof that I can quibble with. Mm -hmm. But there are none that make me want to throw things and tear my hair out, which maybe, you know, don't look up for best picture is a little bit like, are you sure? Mm -hmm. Really? There's a couple of ones like that. But generally speaking, it's more of the are you sure variety than the fuck you and the ship you rode in on variety. So, you know, honestly, that's a win, I feel like. Yeah, it's a good it's a good range of films, I think, among the nominations. I don't think there were any major surprises. It feels like you know, Oscars becomes a conversation where everyone sort of agrees ahead of time what's gonna what's gonna get it and what isn't. But you know, it's 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 a it's a pretty solid year for films, really. There was some weirdness, though, wasn't there? Like there was yeah. definitely some weirdness. Like not having Denis, obviously the shoe in for. Perhaps they did. That's why they didn't have him in there because if they had him in for better dress, he'd just win, and no one else would would, would turn up. So that's Denis, 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 yes. Denis so, or yeah, Everyone was... in the audience would just gone June all the way through the show, and they didn't want that either. So they just that's decided. that's what it is. But they called him in the uh, announcements video. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. That is the Fremen pronunciation. Yeah. So like obviously that enraged me beyond of course all it did. reasonable thought but other things like the best picture one was the kind of one that threw me because coda which is a film i really really enjoyed but got an incredible amount of hate from mm. certain quarters of uh, you know the critical world i was very surprised to see that even in conversation for best picture not that i didn't enjoy it i thought it was great not sure i think it's a best picture nominee but sure and don't look up which i must confess i never got around to watching but again it's one of these ones where a lot of people violently disliked it and that seems like a very unusual pick for this I think it's it's look it's got lots of big stars it deals with an important issue 
by a, it's made by a previous yeah. uh, director nominee. I mean, it kind of shouldn't be surprising. I mean, we're not saying they don't watch these things at all because that would be slander. <laughs> but uh, that was kind of surprising. But I mean, look, it's fine. I can overlook it. I mean, obviously they put West Side Story in by mistake, and that's a- fine a- too. A- a- so, all right, yeah. all right. Shush your mouth. Yeah, I mean, I can West assume Side that was Story a typo, place. and they Thank were you. they were thinking of something different. West Side Story earned all its places, including Best Director nominee. Thank you. Um, statistically, though, you don't have to worry about any of those because, okay, obviously upsets can happen. But every Best Picture winner but one in the last 40-something years has also had a Best Editing nod. Most of them, over 80%, I think, have had a Best Directing nod. The only film that fulfills both those criteria this time is the most nominated film, The Power of the Dog. It seems extremely likely that that will win Best Picture. I'm going to say, if Power of the Dog wins... That there will be sort of seismic activity under the auditorium, and Shai Hulud would emerge from underneath. Shai Hulud will emerge from underneath and consume the entire ceremony, as is only right. Okay, but they don't live on Earth, so James is bringing him to Earth. Yeah, He's through a, I mean, through a wormhole. No, yeah, a sand wormhole. A sand wormhole. A sand wormhole. Mm-hmm. You know what? If that happens, then great. They that will erupt from his anus and consume the oh, stage. What? That's not how sand wormholes <laughs> Look, work. Dune oh, okay. isn't going to win Best Picture, much as I might like it to. Helen, sci-fi doesn't win Best Picture. A fantasy doesn't win Best Picture and then yeah. The Shape of Water did. So... Yeah. And that, yeah, was, a but that was a great day for the thing. Academy. A great day for the Academy. Should we go through the categories? Sure. And we can dig into them in greater detail. Not all the categories, obviously. And if you didn't get a nomination this year, don't worry, we didn't either. <laughs> <laughs> a cruel blow from which I'm taking time to recover. Okay, so we'll start with Best Director. We'll just do like the six big categories. Sure. And then we'll, obviously we'll, we'll talk about it in depth when we're doing the Oscars on the podcast. As Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog, Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, Steven Spielberg for West Side Story, meaning he is, he's been nominated in every decade since the 70s. Correct. 70s, mm-hmm. 80s, 90s, 90s, 10s, and now 20s. So well done, Steven Spielberg. He Kenneth Branagh. Won every decade, but all right, fine. What? All right, okay. Just yeah. saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah, always. Always. No, he's amazing, obviously. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh for Belfast. And I know it's Branagh, don't worry. And Ryosuke Hamaguchi for Drive My Car. Mm. Uh, now, obviously people were going, where is Denny Villeneuve? And mm-hmm. I think he is, has an absolutely final thing to say mm-hmm. because what is the best directed film of the year? You could absolutely make an argument that it is Spider-Man No Way Home. But you could also make an argument... <laughs> That it is nobody. You could also make an argument oh that it is freaky. But no, you could really make an argument that it's June. I mean, to marshal something of that scale, it's a bit like whenever George Miller was up for this for Mad Max Fury Road and somehow didn't win. Denny Villeneuve hasn't even been nominated, which is madness. It's, it's but upsetting. There are 10 Best Picture nominees. So just by sheer virtue of that, five have to be eliminated. Not permanently. They're still alive, as far as I know. But five have to miss out for this category. So... But Denis is a standout there, isn't he? He's mm-hmm. like he's like the, the 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 flashing red light going, "Hello, hello! I made the unfilmable and filmed it." Yeah, but here we are. So looking mm-hmm. at the people who are actually are nominated, um, I think it's probably going to be Jane Campion. Um, I think, yeah, I think Spielberg has a shot at that. I would like it to be Spielberg, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. You know me, um, but um, I don't know that it will be. 
Um, and look, Belfast has been in the conversation for months for a reason. I, I think its heat has cooled off a little bit, but it is a very likable film it and is. it is not impossible that Branagh mm-hmm. gets it. So I don't think it will be Hamaguchi, even though Drive My Car is a, an astonishing film. I mean, it's three hours, but feels like about half that. I think it's just gorgeously, gorgeously put together. I don't think it will be Licorice Pizza. Um, but I do like that they're acknowledging that Paul Thomas Anderson exists and is <laughs> extremely good at his job. Um, so, so yeah, I, but I do think it's going to be Campion. So the five directors who didn't make it in mm-hmm. from the Best Picture nominees, so obviously Dune, yep. your bloke, Dunu Fulu, uh, <laughs> King Richard, Ronaldo, Marcus Green didn't make yep. it in, Sean Heater didn't make it in for Coda, Adam McKay didn't make it in for Don't Look Up, and right. Nightmare Alley, Guillermo del Toro didn't make it in. Now, the work that Guillermo did in that film is so meticulous and so layered. Yeah. And, you know, he's such a great director that, yeah, I'm I'm a little disappointed not to see him in the in the lineup either. But I also think there's something, you know, I love Adam McKay and I love his movies. Um, but I, yeah, I, I enjoyed Don't Look Up. I didn't think it was as good as Vice, uh, which wasn't as good as The Big Short. I agree. <laughs> but I think he has begun to occupy that rarefied air that, that happens to certain directors after a fashion. It doesn't last forever, but where they almost get nominated on reputation alone. Mm. And it happens an awful lot. I think, you know, you could argue Paul Thomas Anderson has occupied that in the past. Uh, there are certain certain directors who, when they, when they have a movie come out, it's like, oh, that's a prestige director. So we're automatically, that's going to be a slot. Boom, tick, done. Thank you very much indeed. There are a few people who just get automatic nominations. I mean, you read some of those like uh, blind Oscar ballot voter interviews Ugh. where they it just doesn't sound like they even give a shit about yeah. films, really. They, they they watch half of the films. They, they nominate people, I think, quite often just because of a person's character or their status in Hollywood, you know. How, I think a, a lot of nominations tend to be because they like them, you know. Yeah, but I think that's beginning to change. I think you are beginning to see a bit more because Jane Campion does not particularly play the Hollywood game. No. Um, uh, Hamaguchi, I don't think, spends much time in Hollywood glad-handing people, you know. Um, so I think there is hope that these people have been nominated really, truly because people were impressed by their films. And I think yeah. that the changes that they've wrought to the Academy membership are beginning to to shine through. And I think we're going to see that as we go into the acting categories where people acting in languages other than English are getting much more of a representation than they used to. And that's been happening for a couple of years now, but it's it's happening again this time. They're beginning to take tentative steps. It's, this is not to say the work is done. This is not to say that the Oscars have overcome what, what Bong Joon-ho called them, you know, very local awards. They yeah. still are very local, very actually. So, yeah. But um, but they're beginning and to try to embrace the rest of the world. And th- those are good steps that we should we should cheer. And there are still things that they're they're clinging to. They're, they're still clinging to the, the release date tyranny. You know, pretty much every movie there, I think with the exception, actually, of CODA was released within the traditional Oscar qualifying mm-hmm. period, um, you know, which is basically from October to December. So the idea is if, you, if your movie is released there, and I don't know why they moved Morbius from this date, I really don't. Uh, <laughs> it could have swept the board. You know, if your movie's released there, it's automatically a prestige movie and it automatically should be mm-hmm. up for Oscar nominations. And I just think they need to spread their net a little bit further and a little bit wider with these things and look at movies that were released, I don't know, between January and September. There might be some good movies in there, folks. You never know. You never know. We should give a shout out to uh, Kenneth Branagh for being the first person to win, uh, to earn seven Oscar nominations in different categories. Well, I did not know that. 
True that's, fact. That's a good fact. It's so, not as good as my dragon. Do you know fact, what the other n- nominations? So acting, um, adapted screenplay. He got his first adapted screenplay for Hamlet, I think. And do you know what his adaptation was? That was his idea. <laughs> he he added the word charge. Genius. Anyway, genius. Well, yeah, you know, he had. It, surely he had Stage exterior and, and interior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shakespeare didn't do yeah. that. He didn't, um, his, anyway, his use of the camera um, was terrible. Uh, so director. Yeah. Picture. Uh, yeah. Well, he's up for picture, isn't he? Didn't he? he I did don't know if he is he a producer. Yeah, maybe he yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. Maybe he had so five before, s- and he's had two. Are we talking seven different categories? Seven different categories. All right, so actor. Yeah. Supporting actor. Yes. Uh, screenplay, both screenplays. Original and adapted. I don't think he's had an original. Okay, so one screenplay, one director, two actors. Um, short films. Live action shorts. Yeah. Live action shorts. Wow. That's five. Do you, yeah. think he, do you think he went that year? And then director and best picture this year. And director and best picture. Yeah. Wow. All right. That's frankly lazy, Ken. If you're listening to this, you need to do, I want best original song, Visual which effects. is always my bugbear of a category. And again, I think this year was a bit of a shit show, but we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. We'll we'll do predictions yes. right before the Oscars come out. Where were the sod our car throat singing in that category? <laughs> That's what I want to know. It's going to be a one note thing for you, isn't it? amazing. <laughs> like the throat singing, it's going to be a one one note. <gasps> yeah, nice. that wasn't me singing; it was James throttling me. By the way, <laughs> dreams are memories from the deep, Helen. Uh, anyway, I can't tell the difference in my waking life <laughs> and dreams. We'll do predictions in the podcast before the Oscars come okay. out, but very very quickly, the best actress category, Olivia. Coleman, The Lost Daughter, wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Nicole Kidman, Being the Ricardos, wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Jessica Chastain, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Kristen Stewart, Spencer, wasn't nominated for Best Mm -hmm. Picture. Penelope Cruz wasn't nominated for Parallel Mothers. Well, she was, but the film wasn't nominated for Best Picture. Wasn't nominated for Best Picture for Parallel Mothers. This is a continuing thing, though, isn't it, with with the Oscars? Uh, This is something I wrote about, as you know, in my book, um, where... Feel. Yes, women's stories. Chapter ten, if I remember rightly. No, but anyway, <laughs> women's stories are considered less inherently weighty and important. So it, there is much less correlation between best leading actress and best lead uh, and best picture than there is between best leading actor and best picture. Those two are very closely linked. Best actress and best picture are not. Best supporting actress and best picture have a have a stronger link. Um, it's because we don't consider women's stories as important. Yeah, um, and these are all women's stories. Um, I have to say, though, some of them I didn't love. Mm. I don't love Spencer as a film. I do think Kristen Stewart is very good in it. I don't love The Eyes of Tammy Faye as a film. I think Jessica Chastain is good in it. Mm-hmm. But honestly, in I would maybe have left her off the list this year and put in somebody from, let's say, Ruth Negger from Passing. Mm. Um, instead, I think that's a, one of the big, big oversights on the mm. list this year. I would have really? loved to have seen uh, Renat Rensavi. Yes, from I'm the worst person, worst in, the person world. in the world. Yeah. Who is just, I think that's one of the best performances of mm. this or any year. It's really, really extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, it was a long shot as it's entirely in Norwegian, but uh, yeah, it's really, really good. I personally would probably give it to Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Oscar might give it to Olivia Coleman, but we'll see. So now we move on to best actor, Will Smith for King Richard, mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Nope. That's next <laughs> well, year. Well, we all know that's, that's what next it's year. For. That's next year. You know, it's like when you give, I mean, he was great in The Color of Money, but when you give Paul Newman the Oscar for The Color of Money, you're you, not you're really, really giving, giving it to him the Oscar. For or Col- Pacino Col- for Luke. Sentinel Women. Yeah, yeah I know. I yeah. know. 
So they're re- they're they're preemptively giving him the I Oscar the same way that, that Adam Sandler for Uncut Gems was preemptively for Murder Mystery Two. <laughs> it, it really wasn't. I can't stress this enough. Well, anyway, we shall see. Okay. Benedict Cumberbatch for The Power of the Dog in the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> Andrew Garfield for Tick Tick Boom in the Multiverse of Madness. <laughs> Denta Washington for The Equalizer Two. Which they've misspelled here is the, the tragedy, the tragedy, of, the tragedy yeah. of ignoring the Equalizer Two is basically what that film is. Oh boy! Yeah. And Javier Bardem? Uh, no, I haven't actually. Uh, okay, but he's up for being the Ricardos. <laughs> oh right, Javier Bardem, the Spanish actor. Hey. Being the Ricardos. So there we go. Jimbo, you must be delighted with that. They're, they're taking Aaron Storkin's wonderful words they and spinning them like some sort of cinematic Rumpelstiltskin into gold. Yes, that is exactly what has happened. No, they were great performances. They were great performances. I don't know. what. I mean, what are your, what are your feelings on this one? I mean, I think Denzel's tragedy of Macbeth was, was pretty fucking outstanding, but... I don't Scottish know what, what are the terrible. That's true. That's true. He's no Sean Connery. Um, but I mean, what are the what are the what are the Oscar pro- prognosticators, prognosticators say for this one? Yeah. What does um, Phil the Groundhog think in terms of the most <laughs> likely winner? Why am I Phil the Groundhog? Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of buzz around Will Smith for King Richard, which Ooh. is well deserved. Um, I think I I still think it might be Benedict Cumberbatch who had the early kind of lead in this category. He did, didn't he? Um, and people like dogs. Sorry. People like dogs. But then there's a lot of love for Andrew Garfield. If Twitter was voting, Twitter would give it to Andrew Garfield right this second. It upsets me that Andrew Garfield is nominated for Tick, Tick, Boom, a phrase that I will forever associate with Will Smith, who's nominated for King Richard. I know, Richard, that so is confusing It's blowing my mind. Yeah, I think that might be, I think, you know, I think it might be Jerry Butler for Greenland. Best Supporting Actress, Empire Podcast interviewee, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog in the Multiverse of Madness, Anjanu Ellis for King Richard, Judy Dench for Belfast. Mm, that's, it's a funny way to spell Katrina, Katrina Belfast, Belfast, isn't it? It's yeah. is very strange. Judy Dench feels like the, uh, well, we like her a lot. I, I've, mm. This is a name of a person I like, so I'm going to write it down rather than... It's it's the Adam McKay thing. Yeah. It's absolutely, yeah. it's like yeah. you, you get to a certain point as an actor mm-hmm. and Meryl Streep has done this. I'm not saying that there's ever a Meryl Streep performance that's not deserving of recognition. Obviously, she's she one of the greatest actors in the planet. Fantastic. She's amazing. But there are times when she gets nominated just for being Meryl Streep, yeah. you sense. I feel like, okay, in Judy Dench's defense, she doesn't make a as... Dench fence. Yes, she doesn't make as bad a fist of the accent as most people do. And so she does Thor voice that. incoming in <laughs> three, two, one... Does she though? <laughs> I said not as bad. I didn't say good. And uh, no and Belfast secondly, I've ever been to. Uh, well, maybe she came from one of the smaller outlying towns. <laughs> and second of all, the one thing I would say in her defence is she gets that striking final shot. And she I does. think that has lingered in voters' minds. And I do think that played a role mm. genuinely in getting her this nomination. But she is she shouldn't 
Honestly, she shouldn't really be in there. Have you noticed, by the way, that we have mm. um, a couple of married couples? Well, this is something mm. I was going to say. Or, or I, I haven't said Jesse couples. Buckley, by the way, you know, who was yeah. uh, claimed this week by Sky uh, when the Oscar nominations came out as a British actress. No. So well done, Jesse. Welcome. Uh, you renounce <laughs> Ireland and all its sins and, uh, and come across here. This is the thing that happens. Like the British outlets very regularly go for all oh, the number of Brits who got nominees. But the BBC latched onto this married couple thing mm. and started saying, oh, it's a great nomination week for couples. It's like, That's a really fucking weird angle to take when reporting the nominees. We haven't, as far as I can tell, having looked back through, there haven't been two sets of at least cohabiting couples Mm. um, in a year before. Because it's Kirsten Dunst and Jesse Plemons. Yeah, who who are not technically married, but they live together, have a child together, effectively. Javier Bardem and Penelope Cruz. Penelope Cruz. Yeah. All right. Okay. So, best supporting actor... Jesse Plemons, isn't it? Hey, the power spoiler. of the dog, uh, but really for game night. Uh, Kieran Hines for Belfast. Cody but Smith really McPhee. for persuasion. <laughs> Also, kind of for Belfast. I mean, also very much for Belfast. Yeah, yeah. Cody Smith McPhee, uh, the power of the dog, but really for um, the road. X Men Apocalypse. <laughs> oh no! Oh, he was adorable in that. He was the only good thing in that. Uh, Troy Kotsur for Coda, but Who's? that is for Coda. That is for Coda. Uh, and J.K. Simmons. For Spider-Man No Way Home. <laughs> no, for being the Ricardos, uh, in which he is neither of the Ricardos. So, no. there you go. I have hopes for Kieran Hines here. I don't think he's the front runner, but I do have I, I do have hopes. I It's an understated role, mm. but he's very, but he's good in everything. It's one of these things, have an Oscar for being Kieran Hines, and I'm I mean, be, I'd be it. behind that. Yeah. When, I, when I watched the movie, I was like, this might be the winner of Best Supporting Actor. There was yeah. just something about it. Um, anyway. I've just decided we're going to do a show, a prediction show in the week uh, running up to the Oscars. I'm going to say one thing right here and now. If when the person reads out the winner for Best Animated Feature, if they don't look at the card and go, dog, pig, dog, pig, loaf of bread, then they fucking missed a trick. Or from Mitch's first of the machines. Yeah. Or just anything. Just anything. The power of the pig, dog, pig, dog, pig, Nick Cage was snubbed for pig. Loaf of bread. Loaf of bread. Yeah, they should absolutely do that. Uh, Anything else in the world of movie news apart from big golden statuettes? Paddington 3 is filming this year. It's confirmed. Wait, what? That's an exciting bit of news. That's all we know, I think. But uh, Ben Whishaw has been interviewed for that show he's on TV which I forget he's on he's on a TV this show this is going to hurt that's mm. it um, and uh, yeah he's confirmed they will be filming in the summer but I don't think they have a director yet or any other cast or they have details they have a script I think but I yeah. don't think they have obviously Paul King is not returning to direct this movie mm. um, so this, this this may well hurt this is going to hurt yes. uh, I, I, I'm I'm optimistic about it I'm hopeful about it but the bar is very very high on Paddington 3 and uh, we will be very excited to see mm. what happens very intrigued to see what happens um, I'm not sure Ben Whishaw is required for filming of this movie so <laughs> he, he just gets like in a little bear suit doesn't he, he just, yeah, yeah. That's, that's him yeah yeah there have been a bunch of other bits and pieces of casting news some more exciting than others um, quite a few kind of ensembles coming together so Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz and Shailene Woodley have joined Michael Mann's Ferrari film. That's oh, yeah. a pretty good selection of leads. It's revving up. It is, if you will, Start revving up. Um, That's good. We also have Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. Uh, now has Dane DeHaan as well as everyone else. Um, so that's in there. He's in there with Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Florence Pugh, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Josh Hartnett, Rami Malek, Benny Safdie, and a mm. partridge in a pear tree. Do you know that's a really good cast? And I'm glad to see that Dane DeHaan is working again uh, because I, he's kind of been off the radar uh, a little bit for a while. But 
I always thought it was weird that he played the Green Goblin in the Amazing Spider-Man films and not Doc Ock because of that famous line, the power of the sun in the palm of the hand. That was so laboured. It was and really laboured. I wasn't sure you. where fuck that you was going, but even by my standards, that was deeply tedious. That was really good. Really good. Okay. I just took the scenic route to, to get there, but you know, it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> uh, hey, speaking of Marvel Legends, a new one is arriving oh soon, according to the tagline of the latest poster for Morbius, which is, they promise, uh, or slash threaten, coming out... <laughs> Every day is Christmas Eve. Every day is Christmas Eve. It is coming out uh, April, May. Who April, knows? April anyway, first, I think. April first. Well, how apt? Yes. Uh, April first is um, going to bring Morbius, the the living vampire, played of course by Jared Leto, who may well be a living vampire. We don't know how does he remain so ageless. Uh, they released a new poster this week, and on it says the tagline: "A new." Marvel legend arrives, at which point... Chris exploded. Yes, I was like, <laughs> I mean, technically, yes, I guess, but no. It's funny, They, uh, I was at a screening last night, I think you were at the same one, James, where they played, they said, before the film, we are going to play the trailer for Morbius, and there was an audible groan. Yeah, you've, never, you've never felt the energy get just leached out of a room as quickly as that. Yeah. It was just like, we're going to watch this film, but first, you must sit through this. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, that happens. Every day is Christmas Eve. Every day is yeah. Christmas Eve. Yeah, yeah every day is Christmas great. Eve. I'm up for this movie being good. I'm, I'm rooting for mm. it. I'm, I don't want any movie to be bad. No. Staying firmly in the spump because there was a press release that mm. we got accompanying the release of this poster in which Sony seemed to confirm that they're still... Spunk everywhere. Spunk everywhere. <laughs> Somehow they're still calling this officially the Sony Pictures Universe of Marvel characters. Guys, it sounds like spunk. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's told you this before. It's Honestly, fine. have it's you a, never listened to the show? It's an M and a C, not an N and a K. It's fine. It's all fine. There's no relationship there whatsoever. Okay. Anywho, anyway, speaking of Russell Crowe's spumping everywhere. Apparently so. Yeah, he, he's um, yeah, he's lined up for Craven the Hunter. And Welcome since Aaron Taylor Johnson, spunk of monsters. <laughs> since Aaron Taylor Johnson is apparently going to be playing Craven the Hunter. There's a rumour that going around that members of his family are going to be in it. So the theory at the moment is that Russell Crowe plays Craven the Hunter's dad. So is Craven the Hunter Jr.? Is Craven the Hunter Jr.? Is what this yeah, I don't know what's happening. Anyway, JC Chandor is directing and oh, I mean, okay. I'm he's on good. Board. I'm like, on board. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. JC Chandor, great director. It is written by Richard, Richard Wank. <laughs> so perfect screenwriter there if you want some spump. I'm glad though that uh, that Craven has made it into our news round. I think that's, <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> Jesus, the power of the I'm sun. Glad, I'm impressed that John got I that. Only you, just I thought got you'd that. be too young. I the got power of the sun like, and the palm of the hands. Shows. Oh boy, that Jesus. is John Craven as Craven the Hunter. Oh I would my watch word, that. that's one for I the very old that. people out there. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Anything else? Well, if we're going to say anything TV-wise, I mean, obviously I was saving this for the Pilot TV podcast, but so I might as well give you a sneak preview here. We had a first trailer for Obi-Wan Kenobi and a date May the 25th. I love that you, I love that you said, I was saving this news about one of the biggest uh, biggest <laughs> franchises in the world that we would naturally be covering anyway. I was going to save this for the Pilot TV podcast because as you know, Empire never covers Star Wars or Star Wars news. Really, James, what is this? Am I pronouncing this right? Obi-Wan Kenobi? Is he, is he part Kenobi. of the spunk? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan. 
Obi-Wan. That's a name I've not heard. Anyway. From um, a certain point of view. But I, th- I think we were all extremely relieved to see that it appears to show Obi-Wan walking along Tatooine, which is a planet that we've not seen enough of. So that's that's nice. We'll get to go return to Tatooine <laughs> after all this time to experience that varied landscape once I more. I have to say, when I saw the, the poster last night, so this is hitting May 25th, not May the 4th, but May 25th on Disney+. Plus. Which is the original. 45th anniversary of A New Hope. But, you know, as people pointed out last year, see... Uh, Star Wars Day is right there, folks. It's right, it's right there. But we're happy because we get to take a little break between uh, the Tatooine's Fett and Moon Knight mm-hmm. and our weekly spoiler specials. We get a, a little bit of time off for good behavior. You know, I think it's fair to say that the book of Boba Fett was not universally beloved. No. No. Uh, <laughs> I think it's fair to say that. Uh, and when I saw the, the poster of Obi-Wan and we were, we were back already in Tatooine just a few weeks after, I, you know, I, I still, I had, I thought immediately for that Michael Scott moment from The Office. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I am ready to get hurt again. And I'm, I'm all in on this one. Yeah. Ewan, Hayden, an amazing supporting cast, Blue Milk, Lightsabers. How the fuck are they going to explain the way? The, you know, the Obi-Wan, Darth Vader thing. When first we when when, when last we met, I was... But to learn it out. All I, that I sort just, of stuff. If he doesn't, if the first line that Hayden Christians doesn't say to him is, my, you've grown... More beautiful, <laughs> that is. I think they will have missed a trip. But the thing is, I understand, I wonder why. I wonder whether uh, uh, Obi-Wan has deliberately chosen Tatooine. It's not just coincidence. It is strategic because, as we all know, Anakin Skywalker hates sand. So where has he gone? That's He's it. gone to a sand planet, which Anakin cannot will, go back to. Will they actually see each other in the flesh in the present day of this show? It is entirely possible, I think, that they have the... Ah, flashbacks. Yeah, they have some flashbacks with Hayden Christensen. They have some maybe Darth Vader in the present day, but Mm. not face-to-face. Yeah. Just kind of chasing him down. Yeah. So You think? It's possible. I'm not saying Mm. it's... I'm not guaranteeing... This This is not not an Amon Woman guarantee. Amon Amon Woman guarantee, but I do think it is possible that they they try to preserve continuity that way. I look forward to watching this and to recording our spoiler specials. Speaking of which, if you want to hear five people kick a bounty hunter to death, do subscribe to the Apple spoiler specials at emeraldlander.com slash spoiler specials. Stop, stop, not the face, not the face. (laughs) Ben, who's thrusting himself in the way of uh, of Boba uh, and trying to protect Grogu mainly. Some very, very sad news, though, to finish off with. The sad death of the special effects maestro, the legendary Douglas Trumbull, who passed away this week. He was a pioneer. He worked on the likes of 2001, A Space Odyssey, and Blade Runner, and has spent the last few years of his life working on a pioneering system, uh, which would, I think, work at 100 frames per second. He was trying to get this to to pass as a uh, cinematic industry standard, 100 frames per second. Uh, and absolutely incredible. The word genius is bandied around so often these days. Uh, I use it a lot to describe myself, but... <laughs> But with Douglas Trumbull, it actually does apply. Yeah, I mean, the likes of Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Blade Runner alone would have um, cemented his reputation. The fact that I only really learned, you know, reading the obits and everything this week, that he essentially worked his way up through the ranks on 2001, that he was not hired as the visual effects supervisor there. He he worked his way up to that because the oh, film went on that. so long because, of course, it's a Stanley Kubrick um, and and became as you know important as he became through sheer hard work and graft. Um, and he is apparently the guy behind the Stargate uh, sequence in that, not to be confused with Stargate, James, please calm down. Um, and uh, yeah, it was still working mm-hmm. uh, as late as the Terrence Malick's Tree of Life in 2011, which yeah. was also stunning. So He was very, very active and it was only 79, which is wild yeah. for someone who worked on Kubrick's 2001 back in 1968. So he must have been some sort of funderkind and 
uh, he he used the cachet from from Lat to set up a a, a directed career uh, after a fashion. He directed the the fantastic Bruce Dern sci-fi Silent Running. Mm. If you've never seen that, check it out. He only directed one feature-length movie after that, uh, Brainstorm in 1983. But Silent Running is mm, stunning, stunning piece of work. Uh, it will uh, <laughs> it will leave you emotionally bereft. But he was just tremendous. Yeah. And yeah. very tall as well. Did you yeah. see how tall he was? No. There was a shot this week of him on Blade Runner, just towering over uh, one of the buildings in Blade Runner. So he must have been a thousand feet tall. <laughs> okay, we're, we're going to talk about like metaphorical height within the industry and, and bigatures after we wrap this. I mean, but he I was feel like pretty we should damn probably, bigature. There's, yeah, we, there's we no probably should have our, our next guest before we get into That's our next guest. Mm-hmm. That's our next guest. But yes, Douglas Trumbull passed away this week at the age of 79. Very, very sad loss. Time now for our second and final guest this week, and it is newly minted, as I said, BAFTA and Oscar nominee, deservedly so, Ariana DeBose, who is electric in West Side Story as Anita. Uh, and you may have seen her already in, if you watched Lin-Manuel Miranda's Hamilton, the Broadway production that is on Disney Plus, the when they filmed that and they stuck it up on Disney Plus, because she plays a very important supporting role in that, called The Bullet. If you track her all the way through it, she plays a very, very important role in the fate of Alexander Hamilton in that show. Wonderful singer, wonderful dancer, wonderful actor. And when I discovered, as I discovered when I went to talk to her last week in London, in person, <gasps> in a hotel room in London. Nature is healing. She is a wonderful personality and enormous fun to be around as well. So we talked about West Side Story, about Hamilton, about her upcoming projects, but mainly, folks, we talked about Nando's. Oh, I'm not going to lie to you. We talked a lot about Nando's. So here we go. This interview is Perry Perry Good. Here it is. Ariana DeBose talking to me. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined in the Apple podcast by the star of West Side Story, Ariana DeBose. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. But listen, I didn't get nominated for a Rising Star BAFTA award yesterday, so <laughs> you must be feeling way better than I am. I, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know. It was really exciting and kind of shocking. I never expect anybody to know who I am. Certainly not, you know, a country that I'm not from. I'd, I was saying to my publicist, I was like, guys, I don't go here, but I'm really honored to be here. So, yay. <laughs> so we were just chatting off mic, in fact, about about Nando's. Yes. I mean, that's, that's get the bath is out of the way, Ariana. Let's get, let's get the, the, the film let's out of the way. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. The, the shit that really matters. Yes. Nando's. Nando's. So, so you have, how, how long have you been coming to, to England and how familiar have you, how long have you been familiar with the, the work of Mr. Nando? Well, I uh, became familiar with Senor Nando's work <laughs> um, <laughs> while I was here working on Argyle. It's a, a Matthew Vaughn's next adventure. Yes. Um, you may know him as the director of The King's Man. Uh, <laughs> but it's a super fun film. And my driver uh, at the time, I was like, oh, my God. I'm so hungry and the room service where I'm staying is great, but it's just stupidly expensive and there's no vegetables, <laughs> <laughs> literally important matters. And he said, well, what about, what do you like to eat? And I was like, chicken. I just really want chicken. Yeah. And he said, oh, Nando's. And I was like, what is this Nando's? <laughs> T- take me to this Nando's place. <laughs> and he did. And I became obsessed. And I swear I ate it like every other day for a month. Well, it's a, it's a healthy, balanced diet. Honestly, yes, and affordable. 
but like good portions. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, hello, I'm American. Our portion (laughs) sizes are three times too big. Yes, this Um, is true. It's true. Yeah. Very much so. But uh, it, it, I don't know. Just I like the spices. I love spicy things. Uh-huh. So also that accent that just came out for no reason. Did you hear it? I did hear it. You yeah. went spicy things. Spicy well, things. Yeah. Why did you do what, what was I, I What was going on there? I, I don't know. I I maybe we could do no an Italian idea. if you like that, if you wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> it's going well this half hour. <laughs> it's going well. We've got 27 minutes left. <laughs> How what will are you we spend doing? your 27 minutes? Um, Talking no, about Nando's seriously, and accent. Nando's, so good. I think I got like seven sides the first time I went. So okay. maybe that means I ordered everything off the menu. I'm not sure. Okay. But it's delicious. So, I mean, this is the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. This is the pinnacle. I oh, mean, yeah. forget the Golden Globes, forget SNL, forget West Side Story <laughs> and Spielberg. None of you that know, matters. Forget, yeah, this, this is it. Nando's. Nando's. And now I think we've talked about Nando's enough to guarantee ourselves lifetime Nando's. I mean, free. Senor Nando, give us a call. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know where to find me, Mr. Nando. <laughs> Usually in one of your fine establishments. One of your fine establishments, which Having, there are many of. I mean, there's one just uh, across the, across the street. Across the way. Yeah. It's, it's, re- it's honestly very fortunate for me. So It's been a whirlwind last few months for you. Yes. So Nando's is clearly the best thing that's happened. But, <laughs> but otherwise, what's it, what's it been like? I mean, because you, know, you were filming Argyle mm-hmm. uh, waiting for West Side Story to come out yeah. and you've been waiting for a long time for West Side Story to come out. Yeah, like two years or something. Yeah, Crazy. that must have been that period alone when you're waiting for this thing to come out and you know how good it is. Yeah. That must be horrendous in a way. Well, I mean, you could, you could, you could say that, I suppose. I feel like it's like knowing knowing you have a really special something. It's like the most epic secret you're asked to keep. I always, oh, for me, I was like, it must be really hard for Steven. You know, he's sitting there in the editing room being like, oh my God, look at this beautiful thing I've made. Actually, he wouldn't what, do why, that because he's very he humble. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I told you, it's, it's, I'm not, it just happens. This, I, you work at Matthew Fallon and you start talking. Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden, yeah. I was like, I'm an honorary Brit. And I'm an honorary Brit. Like, no, no, ma'am, you yeah. are not. But thank you for trying to get our <laughs> accent, right? Um, it's a real valiant effort you're giving there. Um, but no, I just was like, gosh, he worked so hard for so long to edit the thing that we made. And then we had to wait. The fortunate thing for me was I actually had the opportunity to work during the pandemic. So mm. I was in uh, Schmigadoon for Apple TV and I played Emma Tate, which was very exciting because that character was kind of based off of Marion Peru from The Music Man. And that's not a oh, character okay. that you see, you know, lovely women of color playing every day. Um, <laughs> oh, and yeah. that, that style of music as well is yeah. not something that I typically am asked to do because most people are like, great, great, great. How about a pop song? I'm like, mm, okay. But I got to work on that. I got to make Argyle with Matthew. I, I, I also shot a six-hander. I call it, it's only six people in a film. Okay. Um, with Gabriella Cowperthwaite and it's called ISS. Okay. And it's a space movie. It's a space thriller. Yes. And, uh, that doesn't have any singing or dancing in it. And that was really exciting for me. And I was also like, cool, cool. So when this comes out, people are going to say, oh, but can she act? <laughs> oh, so that's actually the true test when you're doing something that is not musicalized. Right. Can you act? And I still don't know the answer to that question. Um, but I'm having fun doing what D- I'm doing. Deep inside, while you know. I think, I, I think you know. I would like to believe that I do indeed have something to offer <laughs> as an actor. Um, is Argyle music free or are you, are you singing? I, I am not singing or dancing in it. Okay. Um, and it, so. ISS is set on the International Space Station. Yes. So it would be a bit out of place. <laughs> Could you imagine if she was just like, oh, 
for no reason while she's doing a science experiment floating in anti-gravity. Yeah. Like, I mean, do you, do you, do you get tempted uh, to throw in musical runs in the middle of a normal line of dialogue just to <laughs> see what No. I, I bet for once, that is something I don't do. Um, <laughs> I do many things. Houston, we have a problem. Correct. No, not quite Honestly, like that. that could have been really great, but... Mm. It's not. It's not too late Hindsight's to go back and read it. Hindsight is twenty twenty. But uh, <laughs> but, yeah, but but apart. So you see, so you're 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 keeping yourself busy, and then suddenly West Side Story comes out. Yes, and everything just starts starts happening at, at the same time almost. Um, yeah. you, you know, Golden Globes, SNL. Yeah, I'm that was wild. Very excited about SNL. Thank that must you. have been a, a hell of a thing. It was. It was a hell of a thing. I mean, the first seventy two hours were excruciatingly horrifying because I was like. 40 scripts, they throw 40 scripts at you and say, familiarize yourself with them. And then you do, I did a table read with some of the best comedians, the best like sketch comics in the business right now. And I was like, wow, I'm real rubbish, like actual trash human right now. Um, and then you narrow down the, the sketches to 20 sketches and then you start rehearsing them. And then you're like, well, that's really not going well. Cut that. So you're just cutting, 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 cutting until you finally get to the seven or eight sketches that make it to air. And you I don't know, I was watching everyone work so quickly and diligently and it made me want to be better. And I was, so I was just constantly asking a lot of questions. And I think maybe I scared people because I just never stopped working or trying to be better. Uh-huh. Whereas they're all very relaxed and easy seasoned. going. It's seasoned. Jaded. I don't know if I wouldn't say jaded. <laughs> Past it. But ready to retire. Ready to retire. Um, but they're that's what they do. And I was yeah. like, wow, I am not a comedian. Like I I I have some comedy skills. I understand timing. But that's a different thing. But I just it was a exquisite week and I mean hell, that opening with Kate McKinnon, that is something <laughs> I never in a million years thought I'd get to do. That and singing a random high C at the end of that medley. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. Um, and that did come out of my mouth. I did not pre-tape that. That was live, ladies and gents. So please give me my flowers for the one good high note I've ever sung. <laughs> was that, that, that was, was that, wasn't improvised, was it? Did you throw it in just because I'm going to... Uh, is, oh, is this... No, I mean, there are options you could opt down, but why opt down when you could opt up, you know? That is my motto in life. <laughs> Why opt down <laughs> when you could clearly opt up? Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I, I think I know what it means, so I'm going to go with it. Yeah, <laughs> it means what you think it means. It makes yeah, um, it's, 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 it's also my approach to Nando's. Uh, yeah. also, so, <laughs> Everything yeah. leads back to Nando's. Yeah. Why so, opt down? Why you, go for medium when you could go you for hot? Go for hot. Precisely. Are you aware there's an amazing Twitter account at the moment which is dedicated to clipping the musical introductions? So oh. it is SNL music intros, I think it is. Uh, so it's literally just a five-second clip of people going, ladies and gentlemen, da-da-da, da-da-da, you two, Sade, whoever it is. Yeah. And who was your musical guest on the, on the night? Bleachers. Okay, so were you emphatic with the introduction? I, uh, of I course seen the introductions I was. Yet. Okay. One day <laughs> that'll be a back, clip. Bleachers! <laughs> <laughs> Bleachers! I'm pretty sure that was the line reading. Bleachers! <laughs> Great. Well, that's going to be on there these, one these days. Yeah. Oh my God. I didn't yeah. know that. See, if you had known that, it. It might, you might have frozen, knowing that one day that would be... <laughs> someone would put that <laughs> Bleachers! Bleachers! Is that, is that, should I have said oh that? Oh my God. Which, by the way, they were so good. Um, yeah. Jack Anatoff, I think is how you say his last name. Okay. Um, so talented. 
He's a producer as well, isn't he? I think. I might uh, be getting off the beaten path. Songwriter? Here. Songwriter, yes. I believe he's worked with yeah. like Taylor Swift on a bunch of things. Um, Indeed. Really talented man. I'm getting Funny too. way out of my comfort zone in terms of knowledge here. So let's... let's All right. Let's, let's, let's move let's, back to something we both know. Nando's. Nando's. <laughs> let's talk about Nando's. <laughs> oh, that's uh, good. Well, I love a butterfly chicken. It's so good. Delicious. It's so good. Uh, the chicken thighs. <laughs> oh my goodness. Now we're talking. Uh, I also like Steven Spielberg. Me too. Um, can you talk me through the the process? How did the movie come about for you? I'm trying not to say the cliche question of how did it come about for you, but right. what was the audition process like for you? On oh, that? well, if, if I mean, in contrast to some of my colleagues, I actually think my experience was quite short. Um, I had auditioned once, like early in 2019 and hadn't heard back. Was it 2019? No, 2018. <laughs> Time is an illusion. Um, it's a flat circle. <laughs> I know it is. Um, but it, yeah, I auditioned early in 2018 at some point, and I didn't feel like it was moving forward because I certainly didn't hear back. So I just went about with my life because at the time I was playing Donna Summer on Broadway, and um, it was actually a very challenging role for me. Um, and then all of a sudden, sometime in August, I think, or September, yeah, late August, Cindy Tolan, our casting director, calls me after a show and is like, can you come in and audition tomorrow morning at 1030 in Brooklyn? <laughs> and then I was like, Brooklyn, girl, I live in Harlem and that's in, early. In that exact tone of voice is how she said it. <laughs> Maybe not like that. <laughs> if you ever met Cindy Tolan, you'd be like, no, Ariana, that is not what she sounds like. <laughs> so this is not an accurate depiction of Cindy Tolan. My apologies no, that's good. to everyone. That's good. But... She asked, she asked me to come in early, early and I it was like, what, 11.30 at night? And I was like, okay, what do I have to do? She's like, well, sing, dance, and read. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to read. Thanks. And she was like, well, if if you like, if they like you, will you come back? And I was like, of course I'll come back. I was like, have you looked at these sides, girl? Tony Kushner wrote these long-ass scenes. This is going to take me at least a day to learn. And I don't know. I just don't make a habit of going in totally unprepared. Like if you're asked to do a cold read, that's one thing. Yeah. But like, this is not what I was being asked to do. I was okay. like, go in, be really impressive and then leave. And I was like, yeah. well, I'll be less than impressive. So how about no? Anyways, <laughs> I <laughs> I show up, I dance. Um, Actually, no, I show up. I realize, oh, Steven Spielberg is here today. And so is Tony Kushner and the rest of the producers. And I was like, well, this feels like a setup. And I'm just going to ignore them all and focus on the the work. So I, I learned the choreography. I did the dance and Stephen liked my dancing. And okay. then he was like, well, you sing. And I was like, sure. And then Ginny Tresori coached me through some uh, some of the song. And I, I sang the song and performed it for them. They're like, great. What was the song? Um, Parts of America. Okay. Um, in fact, it was very odd. I I sang it to Tony Kushner as if he was Bernardo. Now, if you know anything about T Tony Kushner, he's a very tall Jewish man, <laughs> <laughs> so that feels appropriate. Um, did he did he join in? Was he taking Bernardo's parts? Or um, he tried, and then I just moved on. Um, but then Stephen was like, "Great, um, will you read for us today?" And I said, "No, no, sir." <laughs> and Cindy Tolan, thanks thank the Lord, um, jumped in and saved me uh, and reminded him, like, we spoke about her. She's on Broadway. This is She's just saying she wants to be prepared. And he was like, you know what? I respect that. I totally get it. Will you come back? And I was like, yes. 
And then over the course over, over, over the course over, what is wrong with me? English, not my first language. Um, <laughs> over the course of three weeks, uh, I, I did another reading audition or an initial reading audition. And uh, they put me in a hair and makeup test, uh-huh. which was the first time I'd ever experienced that. I had to go to the set of The Joker. Like they were making the Joker movie with um Joaquin Phoenix. Yes, with yeah. Joaquin. And in fact, he was taking a nap um in the makeup trailer at the time, like in full regalia, full Joker regalia. And they were like, Shh, don't say anything. <laughs> and so I was like, Cool, I'm just sitting in the chair and <laughs> the hair makeup team are just like trying wigs on me and putting things on my face. And then all of a sudden they were like, Shh, as you leave the, the trailer. And this man, uh, Nico who's actually a really great set photographer, came and took some pictures of me. And then they took everything off and I went home. And then two days later, they were like, um, can you come do a work session? And I like, you know, did everything for them. I, I, I was yes, walking Phoenix there as well. Every audition you did. He didn't show up for that part. He's in the corner sleeping. Could you imagine? <laughs> Just absolutely asleep. <laughs> that would have been the creepiest thing ever. Um, and no one mentions it. No it's one just, talks about it. He's just yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's definitely what happens. Like, you guys can see that whacking Phoenix in the corner, For, right? Right? Yeah. Like, just, just double check it. <laughs> that Ariana DeVoe, she can't audition if Joaquin's <laughs> not in the corner. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I did the, that work session with them. That was when I met David Alvarez, who ended up playing Bernardo. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next day I was in a hair salon, hair salon, a nail salon, Okay, getting my my gel's taken off, which requires tinfoil. So I've got tinfoil on my nails. <laughs> and the phone rings and it's an 818 number, which if you don't know, is a Los Angeles area code. Okay. And I don't know many people in Los Angeles. And I was like, I should probably take that. <laughs> so I had the woman <laughs> behind the counter help me. And I was like, hello. And they're like, hi, um, this is so-and-so from uh, Amblin. We have Steven Spielberg. He's on a plane. If the call drops, he'll call you back. And I was like, well, that sounds nice. Um <laughs> thank you. Great. And he got on the phone and he was kind of shouting, you know, on a plane, Ariana, Ariana. <laughs> Hi. Hey, hello, sir. <laughs> and he, he asked me if I would be his Anita. And that in a very long winded story is how that came to be. And scene. Yep. <laughs> we are good. Wow. That is wild. It was wild. It was wild. Very cool though. Yeah. Very cool. Ariana, I have whacking Phoenix on the phone. <laughs> And he's like, hi, um, give me my wig back. <laughs> you stole my wig. <laughs> that is why Anita has green hair in the movie. And that, exactly now it why. all makes sense that to me. That big red lip. Yep. That's Joker. It, dancing down the steps. It's all, <laughs> it all makes sense now. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, quick cut now. Jump okay, cut. Jump cut. America, which for me is the, the standard of that film. It's an mm. extraordinary sequence. Where did you begin? I mean, on the day, the very first day you're going, you're yeah. going to shoot it because I imagine it's a multiple day shoot. That's not something yeah. you just knock off in, in oh, five minutes no. before lunch. Well, we shot it all across New York, all right. over New York City. So um, some parts are shot in Harlem, some parts are shot in Brooklyn, Queens, uh, the Bronx. So we shot it over the span of a month, I believe. That's how I remember it. <laughs> da, da, da. Um, uh, you start with with the steps, you know, for me, I, I like Joaquin Phoenix and Joker. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> you start you start with the dance steps, and Justin Peck and his and his choreographic team did a wonderful job reimagining what the movement should look and feel like. Because everybody knows the Jer- Jerome Robbins choreography, like you can't forget it. It's iconic and classic in its own right, and 
I feel like Justin had this Herculean task of creating a new language, you know, mm. which is hard when everybody knows the other language. <laughs> you know, it's like, cool, cool, cool. Uh, it was that. And, you know, I feel movement and body language does so much about who a person is. Yeah. So that was already very informative for me in regards to building Anita. Um, and then you just find the best way to get your point across. And you, I use the movement to do that because it actually doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't take much if you do it well. Um, you know, one flick of your, your little finger tells people what you think, feel, or want to say sometimes. Um, that's true. So that's what that was. But I also just really enjoyed the community aspect of it as well. You know, you get these scenes and moments where you actually get to un understand and see the Puerto Rican community at the time, the people living in San Juan Hill. That's something we never got in the 61 film. You didn't really see the community. Yeah. Um, so I love that we get the opportunity to, to do that. And then also to see Latin joy through community, that last big crane sequence where you get the push in all the way into Anita Bernardo ending with a fiery kiss. It's just <laughs> <laughs> really, it's classic cinema because it's it this is. big, almost proscenium like moment, but it's the community dancing in the streets, celebrating who they are and how they love. And that's, gorgeous and you don't get to mm. see it in the this context mm. through the latine context all the time and normally when you see hispanic people we're playing drug lords mm. or drug addicts mm -hmm. or we're fleeing from the the authorities <laughs> so it was really nice to not do that <laughs> in the context of this film the fact shooting something over a month yeah. obviously going stop start on a on a movie musical must require a completely different approach, a completely different discipline mm -hmm. from doing something like playing Donna Summer or or being in Hamilton, where you you, you know it's it's concentrated bursts of yeah. two hours a night, and, and that's mm -hmm. and that's you. And you. Well, I I think it's interesting because my Broadway background prepared me for something like a West Side Story. It's just a different way of flexing your skills. I think. Um, I look at movie making as like the greatest form of interval training. <laughs> you know, like that sounds so odd, but that's kind of what it is. Whereas on Broadway, that's like that's like a long distance marathon yeah. in a way. So it's just a different way of doing it. Um, but it's the same skills. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, maybe you don't know what I mean, but I've, that was the way that I chose to try and explain it for you. We must um, opt up rather than opt in down. Up. One, one must opt up rather than <laughs> opt in down. Oh my God, that's, I'm never going to live that down. No, um, I'm going to get a t-shirt. <laughs> why opt down? You could opt up. I've been um, going wrong all my life. I've been opting down. It's all the way up. But I do, I really think that's what it is. It's, um, it's a different way of storytelling, but it's the same storytelling. So it is a different type of stamina. It's a different type of maintenance. Mm -hmm. um, you, movie making, when you're in the throes of it, it's actually not really about you. You know, you've got, <laughs> as an actor, it's really about set the set and the lights and the, you know, the DP and the camera operators getting the shot right. And then you just come in and you do what you do, but it has nothing to do with you until like the last 30 seconds, um, <laughs> which I quite like. It takes the pressure off. Whereas if you, with all due respect, if you fuck up on stage, 
It's really hard to hide that. <laughs> if you're not in the right position you, or you missed your cor- cue. Correct. It's like yeah. everybody's going to know if you didn't hit your mark because the spotlight is not on you. Like that's a thing. Um, so I, I, I enjoy movie making, but I do miss the live effect of being on stage because there's nothing like having an audience totally on the ride with you. And they will let you know if they are on the ride, off the ride. <laughs> and if they enjoyed it or not. Yes, indeed. Yikes. Indeed. And uh and Limama Miranda has has said that, you know, a Hamilton movie may happen one day down the line. Oh. I mean, that would be a hell of a thing to do. Because you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I've got a Hamilton t-shirt on right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Didn't get to see you guys on Broadway, but 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 hey, hell, it's my cross to bear. Um, but is that something, you know, do you get, yeah, I presume you all keep in touch that cast. And Yeah, I, here and there. I mean, we're all off in different parts of the world living our lives at this it's point. It's amazing. But... It's like you know, it's this incredible mm-hmm. success story, the original cast. Oh, now. it's a wild Mickey Mouse club. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure how I feel about a Hamilton movie. I think it would probably be amazing I, in my brain because I'm so close to it. I don't know mm-hmm. if I could watch a movie that didn't have Renee Lee Skullsberry as Angelica. I think that would stress me out from my personal lived experience. Yes. Um, but the story is so dynamic and palpable. And I think the concept of the piece could be interesting on film in as a proper yeah. film, not as a shot on stage yes. film. Um, I don't know. I'm 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 not going to lie. You caught me in a moment where I'm on the fence. I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm a little on the I'm fence. I'm not opting up. I'm not opting I'm down. down. I'm staying right in the middle. <laughs> middle I'm opting C. for the middle. Uh, <laughs> last, last question before I let you loose into the London afternoon to okay. uh, to to eat Nando's. Um, <laughs> is uh, do you have you seen? Do you go to Hamilton after leaving that show? And if so, do you judge the bullet? <laughs> to go, that's that's that's, that's, not that's a good fair bulleting. Question. That's bad bulleting. That person who's bulleting right now is not doing it right. No, you know what? I I've seen a few companies of the show. I saw, I saw the show in Puerto Rico actually, and they oh. were absolutely gorgeous. They were a gorgeous company. Um, I haven't seen the production here in London yet, but I fully intend to get there at some point, um, perhaps in the next few months. Um, and I enjoy going to see them because it's always nice to see what other people find within it. It keeps it fresh. Otherwise, why run the thing? Close it down and put a different show in the theater. You know what I mean? Um, I don't enjoy stale shows. Yes. Um, but no, I don't I don't judge the bulleting, really, because honestly, I don't think the track exists in the way that I did it anymore. Mm-hmm. I think it's okay. been shifted. Um a lot, many of the responsibilities that I held when I was playing the bullet have been sort of parsed out okay. so that they don't all lie with one track anymore, if I'm ah, correct. Okay. Um, so it's hard to, it's hard to, it's actually kind of hard to watch because it, it's not the same. Uh, okay. Um, so for me as an audience member, when I do see the show, I'm looking at everything else ex- <laughs> except what I did because I was like, well, that's not really what it was so let's watch something else <laughs> like, okay i got you i got a, you in a, but all the women who have come through and done that track they're extraordinary dancers and i'm very well aware of their work outside of the show um there were a few few young girls um who went into the show and it was their first broadway experience which has been very cool to watch them 
succeed because it's it's a it's no matter no matter what you're doing within the show when you are the bullet you do have a heavy load to bear yes. whether people realize it or not and they all wield it so beautifully so I'm proud of them amazing amazing well I'm going to see it again in April so yes. uh, I will I'll keep an eye out I'll be quite, I'll be going to be quite close to the stage as well so I'll be able to yell out if someone's like, like Bad bulletin. It was like that's not quite it. You're, uh, you're a little higher, a little higher to the left, to the left. Through in a high C, <laughs> just for the sake of it. Uh, Ariana Debose has been an absolute pleasure. Thank uh, you. It's Thank been you great so to, much. Yeah, it's been amazing talking to you. Sponsored by Nando's. You and, too. Uh, yeah, Senor Nando. <laughs> Senor call Nando. me. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Well, that went well. So that was Ariana DeBose. I told you she was a ton of fun, didn't I? Absolute ton of fun. And of course, West Side Story will be streaming on Disney Plus from March the 2nd, if you haven't already seen it in the cinemas. But when I said she was a BAFTA nominee, I meant two times over because, yes, she was nominated for a BAFTA in the Best Supporting Actress category for her performance in West Side Story. But she's also one of the five nominees for the E.E. Rising Star Award, which is the only BAFTA voted for by the public, alongside Harris Dickinson, Lashana Lynch, Millicent Simmons and Cody Smith McPhee. And that is open to the public. You can go to ee.co.uk or BAFTA.org to cast your vote. So there you go. And this is obviously me jumping in later. So now it's back to me in the studio. Back to me, Chris. All right, so that film is already out. West Side Story is already out. But out this week is Uncharted. Uncharted, of course, directed by Ruben Fleischer, starring Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg, based on the famous PlayStation game, which I've never played because I don't have a PlayStation. Um, (laughs) It's a good story. Tell it again. But this means I enjoyed the film because I didn't have memories of the game Mm. or anything. I didn't have impressions of the game uh, in my head as I watched the movie. Uh, Jimbo... Big yes. fan of the game? No. So interestingly, okay. this, this was the thing. So I went and saw this with Nick, and Nick is obsessed with Uncharted. Uncharted, they're his favorite games. He loves them. Um, I, I've played them all. I have a love-hate relationship with them. I find the gameplay simplistic and tedious. But uh, nevertheless, I actually do think there are... <laughs> there's, a, there's a setup here. There's a, I'm, I'm going re- to resist. Know, I'm going to resist. You're, you're so strong. I find you simplistic <laughs> and tedious. Thank I couldn't you. do yeah, it. Yeah, oh, I'm so sorry. So I couldn't do it. <laughs> But, but you know, I, I know, again, it's one of these things where I probably with West Side Story, I'm willing to concede it may just be me with Uncharted. Everyone else seems to love it. I just don't. So I think I went in the perfect way. So I'm familiar with it, but I don't have that unshakable affection for how it is in the game. So I'm not offended that Tom Holland looks nothing like the Nathan Drake voiced by Nolan North and made of pixels on the screen. So... <laughs> You know, this is this is this introduces obviously uh, Nate himself, Nathan Drake, played here by Tom Holland. Uh, Sully's in this. Victor Sully Sullivan, played by Mark Wahlberg. Hashtag not my Sully. And uh, you know, <laughs> and it's 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 a it's as all the games are. It's a globe trotting adventure where there is some kind of treasure. In this case, it is kind of Magellan's uh, lost gold, and there are a series of completely arcane and Byzantine and utterly impractical clues that no one would ever possibly leave. They just put treasure in a box somewhere. But anyway, it makes the film more entertaining and they go through all these clues and eventually may or may not find the treasure at the end. Um, And the thing with this is, it's I found it fun. I think they capitalise on one of Uncharted's strengths, which is big, sort of elaborate 
visually striking set pieces. In fact, they capitalise it to such an extent they literally lift one of the better ones from the games and they use it to open the film. Um, but it's a lot of fun in that regard. And I wasn't put off by the fact that it deviates quite heavily from, you know, the the, the game in terms of the dynamic and the aesthetics. And weirdly, like I actually really liked Sophia Ali, who plays Chloe Fraser in this. I very, very, very much like Claudia Black from Farscape's performance as mm-hmm, uh, as that character in the games. But I was able to have a look at it. I thought she was very good. I liked Tati Gabrielle as a sort of villainous henchman type character but more than anything else for this and weirdly more than the spider-man films like this film made me see tom holland as a movie star i think like really properly cemented him in my mind as a movie star and it sounds weird to say that because obviously he's the star of the spider-man films which are you know apparently quite popular but you know I, maybe it's because he's playing a kind of a, a sort of a geeky younger character whereas in this he's playing a more mature more confident character but in this he just sort of radiated leading man star power and i think that that was a real point for me like at the end of this i was like fuck me he's <laughs> that that boy will do well <laughs> um so yeah I, I i thought it was good i think there is that sense and certainly from people i've spoken to if you are a really big fan of the games and you are attached to that th- taking that baggage with you may mean you enjoy it slightly less than those who are unfamiliar and who mm. can accept it as a kind of sub uh last crusade you know type which is kind of what it is, let's be honest. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's national treasure. Uh, you know, it's not Last Crusade. In some areas, it may be a little bit sub-goonies, but it's not a bad film. It has moments. There's a, there's a so, it, so we say, a climactic set piece, which you can absolutely imagine people high-fiving themselves as they wrote this. Just the idea of it. Because it's a brilliant concept. And it's even well executed. But I think, again, you, you're into a situation where there is such a thing, I think, as... I don't know if it's CGI fatigue, but it's when you see a a huge event and it is all CGI, at some point it just sort of washes over you and it feels a bit boring, even though what you're actually seeing is is so far from boring in practical terms. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if they'd been real, real, I nearly said it there, if they'd been real things that were doing it, I think I'd have been like, that may be the greatest thing I've ever seen. But I didn't. it didn't engage with me emotionally. Does that make sense? I know what you mean. Because the film goes out of its way to uh, the initial challenges, the initial places that Nate and Sully and Chloe? Yes. Chloe go to are all sets yeah. and yeah. in real locations. You know, yeah. they, go yeah. to, they go to Barcelona. They, they go to... They go to... Uh, they go, where else do they go? Other places. Um, and... But you know, there's a sense of real world tactility going yeah. on, and and then the, the finale, whilst still whilst they're still in sets, there's yeah. still a great big CG fuck fest going yeah. on. Yeah, and I did but, appreciate that it was something I hadn't seen a million times before. But it also it annoyed me in similar ways to you, and and, and also another thing that I'll talk about in this spoiler special that I think we're going to do for this. Mm-hmm. I, I I did like Tom Holland a lot in this. I think he's just generally an, an enormously likable human being and, and that comes across and radiates on screen. I had a little bit of problem with his characterization because it felt like the film couldn't quite figure out what it wanted its Nate to do and be. Is um, he a rogue? Is he not a rogue? Yeah, exactly. He... Couldn't make up his mind. And I think we really suffered from that the, there's a sort of, you know, opening scene and then a sort of not quite they don't quite do a record scratch and go, Okay, best you get your one. Yes, that's me. I bet you're wondering how I got here. Mm-hmm. They don't quite do that, but they kind of do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in that opening scene, that sort of fake eye opening, he's acting quite spidey. There's a moment where mm-hmm. he apologizes to someone he's fighting. And yeah, I, was like, that's, I spied that, yeah. That was a mistake. That was to Peter Parker. Mm. Um, and then you go into the the actual sort of modern day stuff and he's, he's much more, I think, what they're going for with Nate. He's a little bit more of a rogue. He's a little bit more of a scoundrel. But they don't 
they're not consistent with that either. So it didn't feel like he was doing a bad job. It felt like the film was doing a bad job yeah. of telling us exactly who Nate was. I think that they're juggling the fact that, as has been pointed out, I think, in the games, that he's like an explorer who steals things and on average kills six to 700 people <laughs> in every game, which makes him like one of the most prolific serial killers the world has ever seen. So I think they're trying to kind of <laughs> maybe reconcile that with making him a likable character. But Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. Again, having never played the game, so I, I didn't know that. But I, I haven't spoken to Nick about this. I know that Amon is a huge fan of the of the games and he just is. did not had a problem with the movie yeah. and mm. the things that he just could not get past mm. with the film um, and with some of the characterizations. And it's not just that Sully doesn't have a mustache. I know that Sully has a mustache in the games, uh, but I enjoyed it. I, I have to say, I said this to Tom Holland last week when I interviewed him for Five Hundred. I'm a sucker for movies like this. You find the thing that tells you to find the other thing that then you insert into the yeah. wall in this incredibly arcane, as you say, Byzantine, uh, you know, trails no, that people not would not leave. It's it's Spanish. Oh my God. <laughs> so sorry. Although, again, and this is more of a spoiler special discussion, but there is a point where they are following a trail where I'm like, hang on a minute. Like, you didn't need to do any of that stuff because you just ended up in a Papa John's. Like, what the fuck is happening? But this is a conversation for another time. Okay. Um, but yeah, I had I had I had a blast with it. I really did. I thought it was you know the the, the banter between uh, Holland and Wahlberg is is sound. Mark Wahlberg can make the sort of film in his sleep. You may argue that he Sometimes is he here, is, but yeah. but I still enjoyed I still enjoyed like, the back and forth. Yeah, I, I had I had a, f- a final time in the cinema. I'm already struggling to remember details. This is going to be fun for the sport. I special. feel like you know I feel like. The, the, the truism remains no movie based on a video game has been more than three stars and I, for that for me that remains very much it's, the case it's here. hard to argue with that it's worth mentioning that there is a mid credit sting for those of you so mm. don't go running out of the theatre straight away it's yeah. worth staying around is it where they find a message in a bottle <laughs> <laughs> yes that's exactly what happens <laughs> oh god oh, oh dear lord well we give this one two stars I think that's a bit harsh to be honest, folks, but uh, but there you go. Yeah, you, I'd have probably you, given it three. Your mileage may vary depending on your familiarity with the game. Can't believe no one's given me a PlayStation since last week when I basically <laughs> oh openly God. asked for one on the podcast. Or 500 quid, that's all I'm asking. 500 quid or a PlayStation. Why would anyone do that? You're not worth Goodness it. Goodness of their heart. <laughs> Pay it forward. Uh-huh. Anyway, next up we have Death in the Nile, the greatest Kenneth Branagh film of the year. John Nugent. Oh boy. That's that's not quite how I would characterize it, but um, uh, it is certainly a Kenneth Branagh film. I can say that much. Uh, this is one of two films this week where we see the origin story of a mustache. That is true. Um, Sully gets his, his mustache origins in Uncharted, and we also see oh, in the opening oh. minutes of Death on the Nile the origin story of Hercule Poirot, for it is he... Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Uh, sorry. De nouveau, de nouveau. Um, we de see nouveau. how how Poirot got his mustache, uh, which is is I'm, it by growing it? Is that <laughs> it, shock? It, I mean, I'm I'm not sure it's a story anyone asked for or no. wanted or needed, uh, and it's surprisingly emotional for a very silly mustache, but um, it, a, a mustache origin story nonetheless. Um, what has happened? Yeah. So this is, of course, the sequel to uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Uh, which was uh, Kenneth Branagh's first adaptation of the Agatha Christie novels with mm-hmm. Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Uh, and this time uh, Poirot is uh, on holiday in Egypt. He's trying to get away from his investigations. Uh, he joins the wedding party of uh, a wealthy couple played by uh, a new new couple played by Gal Gadot and Army Hammer. Uh, they, Who? 
Never heard of him, mate. Some actor named Army Hammer. I, really? I'm, I'm, I didn't see him in the trailer. What I have it on my <laughs> in my notes. I don't know. Uh, they uh, go on a lovely river cruise on the Nile, and uh, wouldn't you know it? Someone gets murdered. Uh, oh. Don't you hate oh. when that happens? But not for ages. In fairness, like not it's a for good, a good hour. Yeah, I would say before anybody gets murdered. And then obviously, you know, handily Poirot's on hand to investigate. You might even say. Handle I mean, he is mustachially. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that was laboured. I mean, if that's not the most laboured joke we've had today. But um, hey, back off. <laughs> Dane DeHaan. Uh, yes. So then, you know, the classic whodunit murder mystery unfolds on on a boat that I suspect may be Who did it? in uh, Leaveston Studios and never made it to the mm. Nile. Um, because yes. it's quite a lot of green screen. I believe you're film. mostly correct. Yes. Um, Who did it? Was it French? Was it Saunders? Was it the Tisha Ride? Did Army Hammer do it? Is it Russell Brand? Is it Tom Bateman? Who did it? You Sophie can tell me. Gal Gadot. Uh, no, you can tell. You can tell because the villain will be the one who's not using an iPhone. <laughs> That's true. He's so right. There you go. Solved. All right. Okay. Um, if you're, I mean, if you're like me, you have can't haven't read the book and can't remember the uh, the the Peter Ustinov film. Then the the murder is a genuine mystery, and it, uh, that is actually one of the, the the highlights of this film. Is I I was properly head scratching my way all the way to the, the final reveal. So there is a you know a, a sort of a joy in in mm-hmm. seeing how this mystery unfolds and all the twists and turns it goes. I would say this this is probably better than uh, Murder on the Orient Express. I think it's an improvement on that film, which I felt was a little bit flat. Uh, I think this film. Is 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 okay. I think it still has room for improvement. I think it it felt uh, a little bit old fashioned. You know, this this is the kind of film that I think was being made in the nineteen seventies, and these days feels a bit just like you know, Ryan Johnson has changed things with with Knives Out. Uh, in comparison to that film, it, mm. it, it, there's there's no comparison really. And you know it's very it's very glamorous. It's mm. it's there's lots of the dresses are amazing. There's some really beautiful costuming. There's some very beautiful people. Mm. Uh, I mean, Gal Gadot is essentially sort of glamour for hire. She doesn't really have much of a character to work with, but she does. She brings a lot of you know movie star dazzle to mm. it. Um, and there is you know a big ensemble, really really you know impressive cast. Is there um, enough champagne to fill the Nile? There is quite a lot of champagne. I feel yeah. like the murders interrupt just as the champagne is getting going. You know, everybody's like mm. having their fun, drinking their champagne, and then somebody gets murdered, and everybody murder, else murder, is a bit murder. like, oh, now I feel a bit bad for drinking champagne. <laughs> yeah, they still try and they have a good go. Oh, sure. Um, you know, Army Hammer, uh, yep. That he that that's also in the film. That he is in the film. We we don't need to dwell on that. Um, I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 fine. I th- I think it's 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 totally fine. I I I had a nice time watching it, yeah. and and uh, you know, I don't feel the need to sh- run out and watch it again. I I quite like the first murder on the Orient Express. Yeah, uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to this one. I just haven't been able to see it. So yes, three stars then for Death on the Nile. I finally got the name of the movie right. Yeah. Death by a Nile, Death at a Nile, Death on the Niles. Fraser spinoff. Oh no. Hell's Bells. Yes. A couple of films to finish off with. Sure. Uh, one, it was nominated for three Oscars this week. Marry Me. That's very nice of you, Helen, but I'm already <laughs> married. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, I'm already taken. Uh, not the Liam Neeson movie, um, but 
Anyway, what? yes. So, uh, <laughs> God, imagine people sticking around for a second episode of a list nonsense. So, the film I'm talking about is Flea. Yes. Okay. Yes. Which is a awesome. biopic of the Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist. Am I correct in thinking? No, that? you are <laughs> incorrect. It is spelled differently, in fact, ah. without the A, uh, okay. the key A. Uh, yes, this was nominated for Best Animated Movie, Best Documentary, and Best Foreign Language Film at this year's Oscars. It, no film has ever been nominated for those three before. So it is already a record breaker and deservedly so. Um, it comes to us from a Danish filmmaker, Jonas Por Rasmussen. I apologize to all Scandinavians for my pronunciation there and it is um the story of a an afghan uh man living in denmark he has he is a refugee he left afghanistan as a child and basically this is the story of his struggle and his journey with his family to find a place of safety and to to forge a life for himself um so he it is the story of and it is narrated by daniel karim yar again apologies for my pronunciation um so it's the story of Amin Nawabi, who uh, comes from Afghanistan as a kid, ends up as a as an academic in Denmark, um, but he's still traumatized, haunted by you know by the the journey of his teenage years, and it's all brought to life through hand drawn animation. Um, so it's a kind of almost a a kind of therapy session at times. You know, he's sort of narrating this almost on the couch. Um, it, it's also you know the filmmaker going over and seeing him. Uh, you know his life now as an adult with his boyfriend uh you know and and sort of finding new life but also still haunted by everything that's gone on it's an extraordinary extraordinary beautiful film hmm. yes there are sort of maybe echoes of something like wolf with bashir but it's very much its own beast and um and i thought stood alone so it deserves the praise it really does it's definitely definitely worth seeking out if it's on anywhere near you and mm. um, do please go and have a look at it it's a curzon release so mm. i think it might be available uh, a curzon at home as well uh, as in cinemas this weekend uh, i've been so busy with 500 i haven't had a chance to really see anything this week apart from uncharted which i saw for 500 <laughs> uh, weird enough so i've been absolutely derelict to my duty but i haven't seen flea uh, but helen loved it mm, really did Five stars then for Flea. And then real quick, is a movie I didn't even think you'd seen because I didn't know that he had screened this to press. Because mm. I know there's a screen tonight of Marry Me. And that's always a good sign when they screen of a film. Uh, unless, of course, it's like a big spoiler-laden studio blockbuster behemoth. Usually, sometimes they can take place the night before release. Yeah. Doesn't often happen for a Owen Wilson, Jennifer Lopez, John Bradley, I'm guessing Love Triangle? Well, Helen wasn't Marry going me. to see it, but they saw her standing outside the cinema waving a sign and they just dragged her up. <laughs> into the screening room and just made a watch it. it was and the sign said, "Marry me." It did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, mean, I you know, I, I typically do 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 Helen, that. Helen goes fishing yeah. in Leicester Square every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is. Um, it's actually based on a graphic novel, which I didn't know until this week when that. I read. Sorry, it. Sorry, Batman Sorry, I'm just leaning in here. You, you had my curiosity. Now you have my attention. <laughs> but it is the story of a pop star, in this case, Cat Valdez, played by Jennifer Lopez. A cat um, woman, you might say. Okay, who is planning a big fancy wedding to her pop star boyfriend, uh, played by Maluma. Um, they have a duet together. It's literally called Marry Me. They're going to sing it on stage after they perform their wedding, also on stage. All is going brilliantly until just before they're supposed to get married, in the middle of this concert, the word breaks that he has been cheating on her. <gasps> so she's genuinely heartbroken. She goes up on stage and is trying to sort of like say something and talk to people and explain to them that this marriage isn't happening, but kind of also coming to terms with it herself because it's just happened. And then her eye alights on Owen Wilson standing in the crowd holding somebody else's marry me sign. He isn't even a fan. He doesn't know what he's doing there. He's just there with his daughter. 
And she's like, I mean, if you're going to change your life, you have to do something different, you know. And I've been dating all these like rock stars and sorry, what the fuck, famous people. I'll just why don't we get married? So they go through the ceremony, and he doesn't want to like you know be a dick about it. He just kind of goes along with it because he's Owen Wilson. And then immediately afterwards, they're a bit like, so now what do we do? I I I think I can guess. Okay, what do you think? Uh, initially, they struggle to get on, and then they begin to get on, and then they begin to fall in love. Uh-huh. Genuinely, for right. reals. And then a third party comes in and there's a big misunderstanding. Literally, no. None of no. that. What? No. What? They they decide that, look, obviously this was impulsive. There's no hiding that. Everybody knows we didn't think about this. Right. But let's g- tell them we're going to give it a go. And so they then give it a go and everything goes swimmingly. I'm not kidding. Pretty much everything goes swimmingly. There is no drama. No conflict? There's no real conflict. There's <laughs> no a couple of like, oh, flame. are we sure... No, I mean, yes, the, the the pop star boyfriend is still kind of hovering around the edges. Right. But like not in a big way. It's basically a really nice Is this pair a short film? Is it like 15 <laughs> no, minutes long? No, it's a little bit too long, actually. But it is two really nice, very charismatic people kind of just, you know, getting to know each other. Now... Is it like Marley and Me Part 2? Do, do any of them <laughs> die unexpectedly? I'm not even getting into that. I, I felt like this film wanted to be sharper than it is. There are, there are moments where it seems like it's about to say something quite trenchant about fame, about the commodification of your self-image, about the social media and the pressure to be always on and always doing stuff, you know. And then it kind of just doesn't do any of that. There's moments where you think it's going to be almost a bit of a before trilogy, kind of just walk and talk with these two getting to, to know each other. And there are moments of that, but it isn't that film either. It's just kind of a a well-meaning story about two well-meaning people who just kind of muddle through things. There's a little bit of, you know, oh, will we work out towards the end? But there isn't really any conflict there. It's just kind of nice. So... You know, does it have the essential ingredients of a, of a classic rom-com? No. Was it a little bit too long? Yes. But also, I was kind of just entertained by the two of them. And I think they made the very smart decision to change the pop star's character to be much more like Jennifer Lopez uh, than it mm. is in the comics. So she, you know, they literally say she's had three failed marriages before and that they're literally kind of poking fun at, at Jennifer Lopez's history and the tabloids and her perception by the media. And I thought, again, all that was clever and it kind of worked. Um, It just never quite goes as far as you want it to in sort of examining, you know, what genuinely it would be like for a a sort of Notting Hill style for a kind of Mm. average Joe to be dating a pop star. Wow. So, yeah, again, it, it, it entirely rests on the charisma of its two leads, but they're very charismatic. So I kind of thought it was fine. I gave it three stars. Three stars. Three stars then for Marry Me. Is there a, a moustache origin story in this film? <laughs> you know what? No. And I thought that was really what it was what it was lacking. Because John Bradley's character, he's her sort of devoted manager. He does have some facial hair. There could have been a story there, but we just don't get to hear yeah, it. Yeah, uh, Owen Wilson could have had his, his uh, Mobius facial hair. Yeah. Damn it. Oh, they did not think this through. Yeah. Stupid. So, Losing yeah. a star with every passing minute. <laughs> Three stars then for Marry Me. Don't Marry Me, just <laughs> don't marry. What's that, the Beautiful South song? Don't Marry don't Her, marry Fuck her. Me. No, I think it was just... Don't Marry Her, Have Me. Have yeah, me, but the, 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 the radio-friendly version is Have Me, but the oh, album really? version is really? Fuck Me. Yeah. I did not know that. I didn't know you that. You don't know that? No. no. There you go. Don't um, Marry Her, Fuck Me. My old babysitter was in Beautiful South. Yes, yes, that's right. Brianna oh. Corrigan. Yeah, yeah. Who sang uh, A Little Time. Yeah. Wow. Anywho, 
Three stars in for Marry Me, five stars in for A Beautiful South, A Little Time, one of the great all-time kind of fuck you songs. Anyway, that is it, I think, for this week's Empire Podcast, uh, the very first Empire Podcast, uh, if you're listening to this for the first time, or the 501st Empire Podcast, if, like us, you are old, weary, and frankly, phoning it in. But anyway, join us next week for more film-related fun, when we'll be joined by... It's, Some guests. Well, it's Cyrano time. It's oh. Cyrano time. We are finally here. Cyrano was meant to come out in January. It was pushed back to the end of February. And so we'll be joined by Peter Dinklage, the star of Cyrano, overlooked, of course, in the Oscar race. Uh, and maybe the film's director, Joe Wright, he may be the week after. I'm not entirely sure yet. Anyway, that is it from us. That is it from me. Until we meet again. Until then. Until that auspicious occasion. It is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning John Nugent. Goodbye, John Nugent. Goodbye. I'm going back to my rooftop. <laughs> Play all the hits. Your Death in the Nile uh, review. You're just going to be belting it out. Yeah. It's, what the, it's what the people want. It's what they've asked for. Uh, it's goodbye from James Dyer. Goodbye, Christopher. Goodbye, James Dyer. You all right? I'm very hungry. We are. I am now so fucking hungry. So hungry. I'm so hungry. Don't think I've so eaten hungry. this week. So. I'm so hungry. I, I, sorry, Jimbo. I've been holding you back from food. I, I just I, when I look at you, I just see you know Looney Tunes, yeah, like giant ham. Dog. Yeah, just <laughs> I'm just like, sitting there salivating. Wow. And now in front of he is wearing his giant ham. Co- that is true. Costume, yeah. so. <laughs> is, we're all trying to find a guy who did this. <laughs> anyway, James, you're right. I'm not going to hold you back from food any longer. I'm going to finish the show right now. Finish the show, and then we can go for some. Some lunch. What do you want for lunch? I mean, there's so many options around here. There's Nando's, there's Wagamama, there's that new chicken restaurant, Bird, there's a couple of burger places. There's a burger place just around the corner that we haven't really tried. We could order something in. We could go to some supermarkets if you want. Sainsbury's, Tesco, Co-op, Asda, Lidl, One of us will Aldi, let's see, 899, all-you-can-eat buffet. Oh, featured in the Eternals. Featured in the Eternals, yeah. I'm going to turn you into rose petals in a second. <laughs> Fucking end this podcast. <laughs> it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara. Toodaloo. You know, this puts me in mind of oh a really God. long-winded <laughs> oh story. God. I'm going to eat this microphone. <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course I want lunch. Jesus. Oh, <sighs> and it's goodbye for me. I'm off to pitch to Sony. Yet more spunk. The Amazing Spider-Man 3 with Dane DeHaan playing the Green Goblin and Doc Ock. You don't make sense, folks. The power of the sun in the palm of DeHaan. Thank you for listening. No. Probably for the last time, let's be honest. See you next week. Bye. Bye.